Hey everybody, this is Jason Bosch, and this is another episode of If We Were Honest, and I've had a little bit of a hiatus with this show, um, but uh, my friend Lynn Strawn Davenport out of Dallas recently just uh, put together an article that she posted on LinkedIn, and I thought it was a good article, so I, I said, hey Lynn, let's uh, let's chat about it. And so I've got Lynn with me here, and then, uh, and then we're also going to be joined by Allison McDowell as well, so... Um, Lynn, hey, how you doing? Can you hear me? Hi, Jason. Good. How are you? Good. Nice I to can see hear you. you. Hear me? I can hear you. <laughs> all is well. Um, yeah. So I, you know, first of all, how have you been? <laughs> I've been busy. How have you been? I've been busy. <laughs> a lot of a lot of drama in my life, uh, but yeah, things are. You know, I'm. It's a new year and. Uh, Looking forward to uh, making it a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, so I well, wanted to. I was just thinking out loud here. We'll dedicate, sorry, we'll dedicate this show to our friend Rebecca, who you lost, uh, and I met through you in Colorado. So, well, how about that? Yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, I'll show a picture of Rebecca here. I'll, I'll insert that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one of my closest friends in my whole life um, passed away. She had had a stroke. I'd been, you know, kind of hanging out with her and she was going through recovery. She Two years, uh, you know, she was really, uh, really fighting to, to get back. She had lost her a speech and her, she couldn't move her right or left arm. Um, I'm sorry. She couldn't move her, her right arm or leg and um yeah so it was a struggle but then she had a second stroke uh just a few weeks ago so yeah it's been really hard on me and but yeah when she when lynn was in town up in the and frisco we uh, rebecca and i went up there and and visited and we had lunch and so yeah lynn lynn got to meet her which is kind of cool um yeah so to to rebecca and um yeah so so you you wrote this article Dallas esports and buckyballers, and um, there's a lot you you cover in this. <laughs> there's a lot, uh, you know. The title should be catchy enough for people to to like say, "Hey, what's that all about?" Um, so I thought we would just kind of go through the article, and uh, you know, maybe I'll read a little bit of it, and then we can just stop at points and and just chat about some of the some of the things that you. That you talk about here, so I'll start off with um, first of all esports. I mean, a lot of people that aren't involved with esports may not know what that is. So, do you want to do you want to just real quick say what esports? What, what is esports? Yeah, uh, so I'm assuming that E stands for electronic, but I I, I don't actually know. Uh, but it's basically multiplayer video games. So people are. Uh, it's, it should be adults, but now it's moving into children. Um, and so they participate in online gaming. And it, so people could be all across the world or they could be locally. Uh, but it's, uh, it's the fastest growing sports industry. And so that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Would you say, uh, would you define it that way, Jason, since you've... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really just gaming, you know, anything like, like video, I mean, even video games could be, could be any, so anything like any gaming that's on like online gaming, basically. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
e-commerce, e-wallets. So I'm assuming that that's just, they just mean electronic sports, e-sports, but uh, there could be another origin for the e. That that was an assumption on my part. But yeah, it's a, it's a, a booming industry and now it's moving into the education space as education is being more and more gamified and more digital, more online. And then with the pandemic and uh, kids being isolated at home, it exploded. So they saw a major boon in the industry after kids were at home and they were, they lost all their social interactions or much of them. And so this became a social outlet for many kids and it's highly addictive. Uh, and I saw there was this, uh, this article that was written about my school district, which is in Dallas, it's Richardson ISD. And it was talking about it being a social lifeline for students in lockdown and that it was a springboard for all of these impactful is the word they used, uh, school programs. And, uh, you know, I always, Allison's kind of helped me see some of these words having dual use and programming now. I mean, I, I think it literally is, the programming is programming the kids and, and um, funneling them into this captive market. Right. And calling it sports is a little misleading too, because we think of sports as physical activity and this actually isn't physical activity, although there could be a uh, physical activity tied to it, for example, like in the gaming space or the gambling space, you know, but um, yeah, I'm still, I've, I've never been like connected to that, that whole world, but so I'm still kind of familiarizing myself with it. And then the, the second part of the title is buckyballers. Um, and uh, so, so what? What are what are buckyballs? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I don't talk much about buckyballs in the the article, but I uh, Buckminster Fuller, and the uh, the Buckminster Fullerene, which uh, I think I believe I've got a picture of the of what you and Allison took when you were in. Um, Houston. So uh, the discovery of the fullerenes was done in, in at Rice University, and they call it uh, that. As, uh, they named it after Bucky Buckman, Buckminster Fuller. And uh, um, so, uh, so they call him Bucky Balls. So he didn't invent Bucky Balls, but uh, what he did, what Buckminster Fuller did, he was obsessed with geodesic domes. And so you'll see these large uh, in the the uh, top of, at the top of the article. You see that there. Mm -hmm. I, I picked one of the most, um, I guess, examples of that. Uh, so I guess if you want me to go into who Buckminster Fuller is, I can do that. I can start. Yeah, that might be a, that him. might be. I mean, a lot of people are familiar, but a lot of people probably don't know. So yeah, that would be good. Well, I didn't I, know who he was. Uh, I'm not familiar with, with Bucky Balls. Um, so I had seen this picture of LBJ. I don't know if you want to uh, put that up later, but um, LBJ was featured with Buckminster Fuller in the White House. So, yeah, it's a little further down. Um, he had this very futuristic, he was a futurist. And he had this futuristic vision of the world. And um, so he wanted to put a dome over Manhattan. 
and um, he thought this this plan would be uh, good for the environment. It would be good for uh, controlling people, controlling the food supply, controlling the world. And so he was really serious when he was talking about this pla this plan in the 60s. Um, and I found this quote, which was in Wired magazine, and it, it said, it seems far-fetched, but only consider the geoengineering projects, space mirrors, exclamation point, atmospheric sulfur injections, exclamation point, geoengineering currently being given serious thought. So I, um, and not to derail us much, but we, you and I and Allison, we've all talked about geoengineering and what's being sprayed into the atmosphere, which is not conspiracy theory, it's actually happening. And it's interesting that they were talking about that and they quoted that um as something that was being done back then and um uh, mm -hmm. so we talk a lot about and i've read a lot of allison's work on domination um kingdoms um and freedom you know d-o-m that word that root word and i think as you look at some of those scientists and people who have come before us, they a lot of those plans were hatched to control how we move and how we participate in the world. And so going back to Bucky Fuller, he ha also envisioned this world game. This was in 1969. And the world game was also referred to as the world peace game. And so Allison and I have been talking about this world game. Sometimes it feels like we're in some sort of simulation and that we're being nudged into this global game and we'll be uh, competing in, in some ways, but also participating in things that um, we're, we're all supposed to be moving in the same direction, almost like a um, like she talks about ants or bees in a hive mind or participants in a game. Uh, so he talked about this uh, educational simulation created in 61 to address overpopulation and the uneven distribution of global resources. And it was designed to be an alternative to war games by using Fuller's Dymaxion map, which I've included a link to that, to solve metaphorical scenarios with a total worldview. So he was a, and and also to explain, he did. He was a very uh, well-rounded futurist, we could say, dabbled in mathematics, engineering, environmental issues, science, architecture, art. So there were, um, you know, and he also, he called the planet Earth, he called it Spaceship Earth. Mm -hmm. Um. So he, he, I made a kind of a comeback. I mean, he died uh, years ago, but in that people are now looking to him to solve some of these climate change issues and environmental issues. He's sort of, uh, he has kind of a cult following amongst those who are studying that and who are big uh, activists in that world. So they're revisiting his idea of these uh, buckyballs and um, his enclosures. And so um, also I will say Allison has talked a lot about this digital enclosure, uh, maybe a virtual panopticon um, and being controlled through these systems. And so it's it's interesting to see how he had these idea, ideas that actually some of them um, were big flops. Uh, he had 
some failures in like with the domes, these domes that he tried to create, they had all kinds of issues, water rolling off and, and he would talk them up as, you know, oh, that's just a material flaw or this, he'd make excuses for it. I think he had a bit of a, an ego problem and thought he was, uh, he was kind of the smartest guy in the room, which is, is, uh, that seems to be a recurring theme with these futurists and these, uh, very um, opinionated, powerful scientists. Yeah, for sure. And I remember like, I mean, it's, it's his, his ideas have, have had a pretty massive impact, uh, especially in like alternative communities and counterculture communities. Uh, you know, I've attended a lot of burning mans and, you know, the, the geodesic domes are uh, a central piece out there. And, uh, and even like years ago, there was that, that film, um, Zeitgeist. I don't know if you ever saw Zeitgeist it actually has a lot of good stuff in it, but it, it in terms of it, the solution, they, they really pr promote this guy named Jacques Fresco. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, but he was, he was envisioning these future futurist cities, just like Walt Disney. We can talk about Walt Disney and these, these, these men who have these visions about designing a, a city from the ground up and, and it's a very scientific and technocratic and, um, cybernetic, <laughs> but, uh, it's not as much in the mainstream interesting even though it's 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 had it's it has such a big impact it's it's really like in in like the mainstream at least entertainment pop culture and even politics or whatever they don't really talk about these things although there's an undercurrent uh where these things are actually being employed these ideas are actually being instituted um so yeah um yeah, a lot of people don't know who he is, but a lot of people within like counterculture uh, circles and um, whatnot do actually. <laughs> um, I was going to bring up. Well, and, I, and then I, I'll tell you, my mom had given me, so my a coworker had given my mom this book, uh, The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow, and it's all about all this new it's uh, by Constance Cumby. And it's, it says the new age movement of and our coming age of barbarism. And it had some quotes in there from Bucky Fuller. And so then I just started thinking about some of the things that she said in this book that have come true. Fast forward because it was written in uh, 80s or 90s and how much of it we're seeing today. And then when she was talking about Bucky Fuller, which I put a quote from him in the uh, in the article, was talking about the universal credit card and how our currency, they're moving towards abolishing cash money. And she said, um, they've said they propose to implement a more rational means of exchange, such, such as computerized barter system. And then that's when she goes into Bucky Fuller and she, he clearly spelled out an intent to give every world resident a number and require the usage of this number in all financial transactions of any sort, including minor purchases with a universal credit card. Um, and so it's um, she goes into the food control and, and the global agencies controlling that food distribution and other vital resources. Um, so it's, uh, oh, and supply routes, that was another thing. So and so there was nothing really, Bucky Fuller wasn't really into, um, you know, esports, but talking about that world game is um, now, fast forward, we've got the technology to do it. So he was, um, 
I'm sure he was aware. We know he was aware that the technology was possible. It's just having widespread. Yeah. Now we've got the kids all addicted to devices. The patient of education is a big one. And all of these things are necessary to move us in this direction. And so I was just trying to get it sometimes like, I mean, I'm nowhere near where Allison is, but when I get all of these things coming in all at once, I have to put them somewhere. And I do it through LinkedIn just because most of the people imposing this um, this corporate um, imposition on our schools, they're they're in they're on LinkedIn, so they're not on Facebook. And so I use the LinkedIn tool because it's so easy just to plug in hyperlinks to plug in, you know, it's um, the format is just easy for me. And I don't want to manage a blog and, and all that. So I use LinkedIn and um, and share it then, you know, cross share it other places. So that's why I do it there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, and I'll, I want to just mention one thing too about some of these people that were pr predicting uh, the future. You know, there was so much that was accurate, but there's also elements there that um, maybe they didn't have wind of. And so one of the things I'll point out, and Allison talks about this a lot too, which is when they talk about everyone having a number, uh, you know, like, and having a, you know, a card or, you know, a thing for like a digital transfer. Once, you know, as we've been going into looking at these um these different tokens, these, uh, you know, tokens on the, on the blockchain, uh, managed with de decentralized autonomous organizations uh that a lot of people in like like the resistance space are talking about the cbdc's and um the cbdc's will play a role but i, I you know we're, we're thinking that like actually the majority of our exchanges are going to be do done with these other private things. So it's like, I think one of the problems is, is people on the right are always pointing, Oh, it's just the government. It's just the government. And then people on the left are like, no, no, the government's good. It's, it's, it's the corporations. And, and it's, I, I think it's really important for people to understand that, 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 that it's really a partnership uh, between the two. And, and by, you know, looking at one side and not the other or vice versa, uh, you, you know, where we'll actually fall trapped to it because they have, they have multiple ways of getting us into the system. You know what I mean? And I just brought that up because you had mentioned in that, yeah, in that book. Yeah. In that book, she was talking about, Oh, you know, cause a lot of people want to think though, Oh, it's going to be the government that's going to be issuing this. And it's going to be, I even see it with, you know, I listen to a lot of these talks within the, uh, you know, blockchain space, and they even say it. it's like, oh, you know, we've got to we got to stop the the government from managing this thing, and and it's actually that's not how it's going to play out. <laughs> I mean, the government will certainly play a role, um, but yeah, I just thought I would. Yeah, no, out. you you bring up a really good. Allison's helped me understand the the polarization, so they they have to keep the the two very distinct sides. And, and, and that, you know, people talk about the Hegelian dialectic and the two opposing, you know, and the problem reaction solution, all of it nudges us and moves us into the next yeah. agenda and um, keeping us polarized is necessary. But when you're talking about the, the public private partnership, that's where a lot of happens through the government partnering with the corporation. And then we see these schemes play out. So right. yes, it is absolutely related. and nonprofits Those and NGOs. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and the nonprofits are big time. Yeah, and, and we talk about that, or I talk about that a little bit in here with 
organizations, nonprofits like Big Thought. So what also happened during the pandemic is moving to out of seat time learning. And so they're bundling these programs uh, using the either the you know the CARES or the ESSER funding that came in through the emergency through the pandemic and the emergency or use like the learning loss. So they would say, oh, there's so much learning loss because the kids were sheltered at home. And so then we need to, to um, use these nonprofits and these out of school uh, um, organizations that take kids after school. And that's a whole other um, agenda. So they have, they're, they're accessing the kids, the data, their behaviors and all of that. And, um, and she talks about to the, um, and I didn't mention domination, but the soulbound tokens, trust networks, and California's big test article is yeah. what she wrote about biosurveillance, tracking, tracing data, and um, in the, the uh, as responsible members of society, we're sharing this, and it's all this augmented reality. But these partners for the schools are also they're harvesting a, a tremendous amount of data on the kids and. Um, so that's um, that's all connected with this too. Yeah, layers and layers of, of data streams. Yeah. So what I thought I would do is I, I thought I would just read it and then we'll just stop at points and then chat about it because that way we'll okay. have a you know we'll have a we'll, we'll do a read aloud. <laughs> Allison loves the read aloud. So and I'll I'll do my best. I'm not as as proficient uh, at reading aloud, but I'm working on it. <laughs> this will be good practice for me. So yeah. bear with me, guys. Um, so Dallas has a history of significant influence in public education with the Dallas miracle perpetuated by George W. Bush and other corporate education reformers. The lucrative ecosystem of education nonprofits and public-private partnerships relies heavily on underserved communities for cheap labor to build the future metaverse. They prey upon the captive market of public school kids to train future coders and gamers. Pay close attention to the words like hub uh, and lab when referencing the so-called innovations, which are really just real-time experiments on children. The pandemic and lockdown served as a major boost for the esports industry with children stuck at home on devices. EdTech magazine featured Richardson ISD when they wrote, Launched online in the early days of the pandemic, the esports club not only served a social lifeline for students in lockdown, but also became the springboard for impactful school program. Their online gameplay <clears throat> excuse me, their online gameplay was so successful that when participants returned to the campus full time, educators at the school doubled down on esports. They con convinced Richardson Independent School District leaders uh, to build state-of-the-art esports room that opened last fall. The school also launched popular esports classes or cla a popular esports class educating students about careers and technical skills related to the growing esports field. So I'll stop right there. Do you want to say anything about uh, that? If not, I can continue on, but. No, keep going. Okay. <laughs> so we have the, you know, the little kid with the, 
the VR headset. And again, like don't be misled by the VR headset because, you know, especially the early days of this, uh, most of it's going to be augmented reality and, and, and even things that aren't, you know, attached to your headset, it'll be like QR code stuff. So, you know, our, our connection to the metaverse um, isn't necessarily just the VR headset. And I think that's a little misleading because a lot of people think even the people that are building the technology say that it's a little bit off because they don't quite have, have that technology down anyways. I mean, people are, you know, they get nauseous and they, 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 they haven't really mastered that technology in terms of regular use. They would like to, but they're not there yet. Um, so mobile YMCA, and we could talk about the YMCA and their role, role in, in a lot of this. Somehow this doesn't seem right. Part of the plan or am I just paranoid? And is that, that that's a, a tweet by you? Yeah, she was getting into, uh, she was trying to get her teaching certificate and she's in the education, uh, been teaching. And uh, so she sent me that because she knows that I research all this stuff. And the YMCA during the pandemic, it was interesting because they were saying it's not safe for kids to be in school, but then they needed after school care for parents who worked. So it was okay for kids to be in an after school program with hourly workers, but their salaried teachers, somehow that environment was not safe. And so it, that's what created these things like Big Thought and YMCA to move in and get to get some of those COVID funds and then create these new programs that were um, often outside of the class classroom, which um, we've talked a lot too. Alice and I have talked about out of seat time learning, that um, this education will be moved out of the classroom into all of these different places in your community, any anywhere, any path, anytime, any place, any path, any pace learning and that um, eventually the dollars will, they're trying to get them to where they follow the child, not necessarily in a physical school building, but they'll be learning everywhere on a device and through these, um, these, these other um, artificial intelligence type uh, programs. Right. And it's also important as we talk about these things as uh, not to see them as isolated, independent things, because what they're building is this this fully immersive, interoperable system where your lifelong learning, education, your healthcare, your I mean, all your 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 business activity, your social activity, um, is all it's all part of a um, like a network that that's you know. So uh, I just point that out because a lot of times you know we, we're we're conditioned to like specialize. Everyone, yeah, and that's the challenge is like you have the people that are in the education space and you have the people that are working on the, this issue or that issue, and and no one steps back and sees how all these things are interconnected. So. Um, so you, you wrote, the answer is yes, this is all wrong, and no, you are not paranoid. The agenda to gamify education and tokenize behaviors has impacted all aspects of education. And so this is from Mobile YMCA. Um, it says that they, they unveiled in the summer of 20, 2022 called Tech Hub. It's an interactive STEM lab and gaming truck aim to provide more access to education and play for children and teens across the Metroplex. And so, um, yeah. And I will say one thing about that. Um, so, well, STEM is, there's a big push for STEM. STEM is, uh, it's science, technology, engineering, and math. So nothing inherently wrong with that. Of course they should be learning already. I mean, automatically what you and I learned science and math. Now the technology and the engineering, that's a, another um, 
more workforce focused thing, but they're they're bypassing the most foundational, you know, basic uh, math skills and um, understanding of science for more of this technology. And that's purposeful because they need the coders, they need the kids to be the cheap labor for to build this metaverse that is being built around us. So keep going. Okay. Uh, so mobile YMCA wrote, the tech hub aims to introduce children, specifically those in un underserved, I almost wrote, or it's undeserved, <laughs> underserved areas to same opportunities to improve literacy in science and technology, help build critical thinking skills and encourage them to take on more act, take on a more active role in the community. The tech hub's primary use is as an e-sports gaming center on the go. So um, there's a major, uh, let me go over here. There's a major push for out-of-school learning, STEM themes, and gaming, which often appeals to dads. The nonprofits say their programs like the YMCA or Big Thought will close the digital divide. Hybrid learning programs such as STEM ULI in Dallas normalize life in the Panopticon with two days in the physical in a physical building and the rest at home with their avatars being tracked by a virtual eyeball. And then this is a clip that Allison had uh, had uncovered. We'll go ahead and just let's see how long is that clip? Yeah, it's four minutes. We'll go ahead and just play this clip. Behind me is the Dallas ISD campus that'll hold the very first of its kind hybrid school, mixing online with in-person learning, reimagining what the traditional school day looks like. Technology is changing the way we work the way we play, He's coming. and even the way we midnight snack. But what about education? So our platform connects students to their future through providing them with virtual mentorship, digital resumes and portfolios, and a video library of over thousands of videos where industry partner employees are talking about the important skills for them to be successful in their career. So students can upload their resumes, their portfolios, and the mentors can provide feedback on that. Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Taylor Sheet is the founder of Stimuli, the creators behind this new virtual world students will be attending school in. It's a video game. It's a school and a video game. One login, a simple dashboard. On Google Chrome, type in stimuli.net. Once you've arrived to our homepage, go to student sign in. At the bottom, Select Dallas Independent School District. Now, go ahead and log in with Clever and then select Login with Google. And here, enter your student email address. When your child first logs in, they will select a custom avatar. Over time, they will learn and collaborate in an open sandbox world with their friends. Stimuli is a connected schoolhouse for a connected world and easy access to your teacher right here in Dallas ISD. That lessons are on the right and a brief description of the project is found on the left. From your lessons on the right, there is also a quiz and a batch that you earn for completing successfully the project. First time, you may notice also a connect to Badger icon. Feel free to go ahead and connect your Stimuli account to Badger, click start lesson, and this takes you directly to your first video that you can interact with. And participate in skill building activities to prepare them for the future of work. Where students use their digital resumes and portfolio to apply to jobs all around the world. Work experience when you're ready. Whether somebody wants to play by themselves 
or that they want to play in groups. Actually being able to move, move around in the screen, it just seems a little more interesting. And while this is only for fourth or sixth graders right now, Dr. Romero hopes it'll eventually be offered to any grade level so every student can take advantage of this innovative learning. Stimuli and the Dallas Education Foundation came together to design the learning experience of the 22nd century. We have built a technology that is in some of the largest school districts in America, and we're working with some of the largest companies like IBM and Microsoft. The kids can invent their own world. This is one of the most exciting components of our platform, where students actually get to engage in mentorship and other activities with um, industry partner employees that we call influencers. So as you can see. Okay, so I, I think I'll just stop there. I think we get the kind of the general idea. It was kind of choppy because it just looks like were, uh, Allison just kind of ch ch cut to some little pieces together to give you kind of a general general idea there of uh, of it. But um, Yeah, so there are a couple things that stand out to me from that. Um, one is they mentioned IBM, and I think it's it's um, interesting that IBM Hyperledger Fabric is the technology of choice that will undergird the blockchain technologies. I know that the founder of of Stemuli is on the Dallas uh, on that foundation board that she mentioned with the Greenlight Credentials blockchain uh, founders and. Greenlight credentials is how they're storing credentials, transcripts, and um, vaccine history in Dallas ISD to be scaled nationwide. Um, so those two are directly linked. Um, also, she talks about connecting students to their future, and I think that's an interesting. Uh, and she said it was a school within a video game. So and and um, how it appeals to parents because. I think a lot of parents don't realize that education and workforce are two different things. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Of course, we want our kids to be educated so that they can be gainfully employed. And I've worked with unemployed people for 12 years. So this is near and dearer to me. Uh, I want people to have the proper education so that they can do whatever job they want and that you know it raises the ceiling and opportunities for people. With kids, what they're doing is they're supplanting their foundational knowledge, the education that you and I received of the most basic things, reading, writing, math, and science, and they're supplanting it and they're doing more of this um, this um, future of work, a push for that. So parents think, oh my, I put them in this stimuli project, uh, this stimuli um, school and this model, and then they're going to have jobs lined up for them after they graduate. Well, that could be true. It also could be true that they are denying them uh, the most basic things so that they're going to actually be pigeonholed. This will, this actually narrows their opportunities. Uh, and that's not something that is being talked about. So that's my soapbox on that that particular thing. Oh, and Taylor Shedd came from, she was she worked in an Apple store and then she suddenly catapulted into this role and she doesn't have children of her own, which, you know, is that may not matter, but I don't think that, um, I don't think she's able to, she was able to get where she, and, and expanding and scaling this model nationwide without all of those players behind the scenes, foundations, uh, philanthropists and all of the, it, this is a giant web of people working on getting this uh, to be scaled nationwide and grants too, which are, are bribes and carrots. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the thing is, is there's a, the rash, there's a rational thought there where people need, they need money and they need resources. And so um, that seems to trump everything else. You know, it, it, there's a, there's a logic there that, that's, that's kind of prevents people from making yeah. the best decisions for themselves and their families. Um, yeah. Well, I'll continue on here. Um, the data extracted. Okay. Yeah. There's a little delay with us too. So that's why there's, um, <clears throat> the data extracted from these programs feeds the insatiable, insatiable appetite of collective impact and social impact investors. Services are bundled together for vulnerable children and the parents are not given informed consent for the impact data and surveillance imposed on them for digital twinning. The children are anchors and access points for at-risk families as profit centers. And so if, you, if you're watching this and you're not familiar with, um, you know, what impact finance is and, and all of that, it's, it's really crucial that you understand that to, in order to, um, you know, engage in some of these discussions. And, and sadly, it's, it's kind of amazing how very few people in the general public even know what impact finance is, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I'm married to a guy who doesn't, who's not part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and he does finance, right? Like he does, well, he does accounting, right? Uh, yeah, finance. Yeah. I started accounting, but doesn't, has never heard of this stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's, again, it's that compartmentalization. You can have like these major seismic shifts happening in society, that only the specialists who are doing it know about it, which is really kind of remarkable. I mean, if you think about like just how radical uh, the changes, and I, I keep talking to people, uh, you know, about these things, and they're still having conversations in the old frame. I'm like, that's the old system. Like, you, you, you've you've got to update yourself here because uh, you know whether it's economics or our politics and governments, everything is about to radically change. And so, you know, and we, when Allison and I were down in Tucson, there were these debate got happened in the audience uh, uh, about representative democracy and the founding fathers. And Allison gets up there and is like, well, if you guys want to keep debating these old timey ideas, <laughs> you know, she wasn't saying that mean, but she was like, Hey guys, you guys got to kind of get up to speed here because there's stuff going on that, that, um, that are, that are going to affect our lives in a, in a pretty radical and extreme right. way that people just have no idea about, um, how to overcome that, like how to get people to take the time and actually learn something new. <laughs> Tough one. Um, in a Dallas observer article, they included a quote from a Dallas ISD trustee. I'm thrilled you guys are going down this path, said the trustee, Dustin Marshall, who is CEO of logistics company and a former ranked Mortal Kombat and Warcraft player. I think it's great we're meeting students where they are. And so like, there's that question, like meeting students where we are like, oh, kids like to play video games. Let's give them video games. I mean, it kind of goes, it kind of flies in the face of like, oh no, you're like actually the adult and like, you need to like, not just like, <laughs> I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, yeah, I'll tell you, this is kind of my analogy is that having three kids, 
I know that when they were little, if I let them decide, if I met them where they were, where they were is wanting Skittles and Cheetos. And so if I let them decide how they eat, they would have eaten a bunch of crap. And so I, I look at it kind of the same thing. Yes, of course. And I went in, I, I tried to get a degree in teaching because I wanted to be that kind of teacher that would relate to students and reach them where they are. So that, that's not a bad idea. Uh, it's just that if you're, but you, you don't do it where you compromise what they need and what they're supposed to have. And, and so that I think is where this is actually a, a predatory, uh, I think, perspective is meeting them where they are. The, and, you know, Dustin Marshall says this, but he also was educated in a, a, an elite private school here in Dallas while he might have been playing Mortal Kombat and Warcraft, but at least he was educated. And so saying meeting them where they are, I think that's denying them the most basic things that he was afforded when he was in school. So that, that bothers me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dallas has become a hub for the burgeoning industry. It's home to ID Software, creator of iconic games such as Quake and Doom, as well as Team Envy, an esports franchise funded by Oriole magnate Kenneth Hirsch. Um, and so this is a, a thing, esports e may be coming to Dallas schools. And then Kenneth Hirsch, uh, do you want to say something about Kenneth Hirsch? I won't read the whole bio from... Uh... I do. Well, yeah, so on the radar of Allison and and I or and me and uh, it's interesting I and I put the World Economic Forum thing here because this it's it's not that the World Economic Forum is not a major player uh, it's not that it's not significant because it is but it distracts a lot of talk about the World Economic Forum the oligarchs Klaus Schwab and and these um, you know these overlords that it uh, that just that that keeps us from focusing on what people are doing at the local level and how it's coming in through our cities, our school districts, through our commissioner's courts, all the smart city surveillance, all the things that the World Economic Forum is championing. It comes in through the local level and it has to be done through, and, and they're, they're using our tax dollars to do it, but also they do it through grants. Um, so Ken Hirsch, um, why I think this is significant is because he is a major investor in it. And he's, um, they, you know, he, he made his money in energy and oil. So now he's working as the CEO of the George Bush Presidential Center, which is here in Dallas. Uh, that to me is significant. And um, so he's come up several times in the research that and I have done. But, you know, he goes to uh, an elite private school in Dallas, uh, grew up here in the 60s and 70s, graduated from uh, St. Mark's in 81. And then, you know, he's been with these Ivy League schools, comes back, takes all of his success, and then starts investing in things which I think, um, you know, he needs to, I think, um, it, are these things, is this a good idea for us to be moving into this space? And I would say no, but <laughs> I find it interesting. Uh, the other thing is I mentioned at the beginning of the article about No Child Left Behind and Bush, of course, passed that bill in 2001. It was signed in 2003, but baked into the bill was this reading response to intervention software. And one of the investors in this software that um, came out of, no, well, the, the, the um, reading response to intervention was in the bill and then the vendors that um, 
benefited from the bill were vendors like iStation. So you've got a, an investor. I think they know that these bills are going to create the marketplace and then they're waiting in the wings. That's my you know assessment of this. I can't prove that. Uh, I just read their uh, promotional materials and their PR newswire articles. And so 20 years later, we've got a major, major reading issue in uh, our public schools and they've all piloted this ice station. But the billionaire who funded it says that his name is Dick Collins. Dallas billionaire Dick Collins is building a digital curriculum that makes learning language and math skills as captivating as playing a video game or as playing video games and measuring student success a snap for teachers. Um, and so that's another uh, for, or, uh, uh, that's the gamification that we've been talking about and that's that getting kids to spend more and more time online, massive data uh, collection happening while they're spending all that time online. The the um, the stimuli, when I mentioned IBM, there was also Microsoft was mentioned. And Microsoft is heavily involved with the Texas Education Agency doing machine learning and predictive analytics and um, this um, artificial intelligence with a lot of our student data records. So they have all these plans. They're learning the students, they're tracking the students, and then they're also using the students to be uh, uh, those who, you know, the, the, um, they're highly addicted to the technology, and then they're going to be the future coders of this metaverse and this world game that's being created in this buckyball. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll just say something, too, about the World Economic Forum. And, and I, I do find it really problematic that everyone is like focusing solely on that. It's just like, and they talk about uh, Klaus. This is, I, I keep hearing people, this is Klaus Schwab's plan. And I'm like, give me a break. You know, he's a, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a player, but he's not, you know, it's, this isn't Klaus Schwab's plan, even though he's got his books. And I've read a couple of his books and they're, they're really, they're actually kind of dumb. Like they don't even like cover a fraction of, you know, the stuff that's going on. And I think that a lot of that is about perception management and about getting people to focus their attention on one thing, but, but it, th there is a functional, you know, use for it. So it's, you, you go through them. I've been at this for many, many years. And then some people would be like, Oh, it's the UN. Oh, it's the council on foreign relations. Oh, it's the, the, the Bilderberg group. Oh, it's the bank of international settlements. And, and, the, and the reality of, yes, it's all of that. <laughs> you know, you can't, we, people want to just like, they want to have like the single target that they can just focus all their energy on or like an individual or something that can focus all their energy on it. But yeah, like you said, it's all around you. It's in your own community. You're, you're interacting with it often, you know, you may be working working for it without even realizing it, <laughs> you know? And so like trying to get people out right. of that whole headspace of like, oh, like that's like, cause you know, that could be a tool. Like they can steer you. They know that, oh, the, the only person you're going to, you know, the only way you're going to like learn about what's going on is through the world economic forum. So like, you know, I've been listening to, they just had the, the world economic forum and you listen to a lot of the talks and, and they give you such a narrow slice of it. It's it's you're not going to really understand it by just watching World Economic Forum videos. But I also think that 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 because what it is, it's a conference, really. Um, and, and they write white papers and whatnot. But but it, a lot of that, I think that is actually about like just the managers, like some of the political, you know, po they have politicians from around the world. And a lot of that's really the 
the kind of the propaganda arm for the like the administrators or the bureaucratic people who are going to do this, which is one uh, you know one piece of this. Yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, and and um, you and I did talk about that back in the first, if we were honest, and you know we were that we were coming out. That was uh, twenty twenty in the fall of twenty twenty. So we had been coming out of lockdown. And we were just learning about, like you had already known about Klaus Schwab. And we, I mean, we know that these are nefarious players. It's not denying that they don't exist, but um, it is more, as Allison says, a network and um, it, and not necessarily a pyramid. But, and I'm not to get all preachy, but the way I look at it is like, there's this verse and it's um, uh, Second Chronicles 16.9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. So the point is that, that it's saying that God looks to and fro looking for eyes looking at him. I think that, that these negative uh, demonic forces do the same things. Like if you pictured good versus evil, God versus the devil, the devil's also looking for people, the eyes to and fro that are going to actually respond to this, this um, spiritual thing. And I think it is a spiritual battle. And so I, that's how I make sense of it. Um, but there is, it's always going, it's always the, the dark and light forces. It's always the, the, um, and then there's always the dual use. So things will have, they'll say, oh, this is good because it reaches kids who are medically fragile and they can actually participate in sports and then flip that. But it's actually, um, that's not really what its purpose was, but they'll use those two things. So everything, if you look at it in terms of good versus evil, dark light, um, negative, positive, uh, it, I think it helps see it rather than the pyramid of these, um, you know, like Soros types or yeah. Gates, Bill Gates. When I also think it's useful, at least for me, you know, I don't come from like a religious like space, but I do, you know, in a, in a weird way, I, I don't, I, I've talked about this. I don't know, really know how to, to mm -hmm. put into words, but I do feel like for lack of a better word, it is a spiritual battle. And for me, like the good and evil, yeah. it's not necessarily a, a, an embodied thing. It's, it's, it's an action. Like it's, you know, like you, you, you can, you know, we're all, we're all, we all interact with this thing, you know, in terms of the outcomes. So like, you know, someone works a job and, and they're doing harmful things. Um, it, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's, there's a lot of gray area, you know, like you're bringing in an income, which helps support your family, but you're also doing this really harmful thing that's going to hurt your family and other families. I mean, it's not an easy thing to navigate. Um, but looking at it in terms of not such a hard thing of like, oh, it's these people. And it's, it's this, yes, it, it is those people and it is these institutions, but you know, it, it also kind of like lets us off the hook, I think a little bit by just, you know, like it's the outside, it's the thing, it's, it's China or it's, it's what it's Klaus Schwab or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we need to kind of re like rethink how we look at all these things in, in, in a more effective way as you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Uh, no, it actually does. And I deal, I, I am, uh, I, I see and interact a lot with uh, more conservative or religious circles uh, because the other side doesn't, invite me or want, you know, so I speak to whoever will invite me. And um, so it ends up being a little bit more of that direction. And the, um, I would say 
the, it's more conservatives who are actually imposing this technology that I'm seeing, uh, at least with the bad bills in education. It is more uh, the, the corporate and the, um, the, the right the right wing people that are doing it more so than the left. Now at the ground level, like in the schools, I would say it's more left. So th that's why I, you know, you have to step out of party and look at this. Um, you have to look at it objectively, which is really difficult to do. But once you see it, then you realize, okay, that's this side playing this side. And then it's, it just goes back and forth. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating, uh, frustrating, but also fascinating. Yeah, and seeing it as a system. Oh, and, and you know, like he's got this. Go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, well, and I kind of jumped. Uh, I went ahead of it when I was telling you about that book, "The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow." That was actually from a much more religious, um, like looking at Revelation and what the Bible is predicting will happen. So she was trying to. Um, see kind of read the tea leaves like okay well this is what it says is going to happen in revelation and and um end times type prophecy and then seeing what she was seeing in government and in uh global um agendas and things that are happening like un or she talks a lot about um uh oh i can't like a world congress and there there are all kinds of things that have been proposed over the years but again like that's you know the book is 30 something years old and it's interesting a lot of the stuff that she said we're seeing right now and especially in the schools and uh this um you know what she calls the the new age stuff we're seeing it play out and then you've got the culture wars in the schools it's it's a it's a very strange time really yeah and also people have different framings and so others other people outside that framing might dismiss some of the legitimate things in there so like someone that's maybe coming at this from like a christian point of view that has kind of a you know like a, a revelations kind of approach to it or or someone that's coming at this from you know a, a more conservative side of like worried about Amer you know the u.s sovereignty or whatever and like looking at the u.n and the globalists or whatever um it, it, it ends up pigeonholing people and then you, you don't get these like actual discussions about you know what are the real things that are happening out you know leaving aside different ideologies or different framings you know there 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 are these things that are going on that don't really get talked about especially across different um religious or political um or even economic philosophical um uh, views. So that's what we're trying to do here. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll keep reading yeah. here. Uh, Ken Hirsch is the president and CEO of the George W. Bush Presidential Center. He is listed on the World Economic Forum website. According to Wikipedia, Hirsch was born in 1963 in Dallas, Texas, where he spent his childhood. In 1969, Hirsch attended the St. Mark's School for Tech of Texas for both his primary and secondary education. He graduated from St. Mark's in 1981. Hirsch subsequently attended Princeton University in New Jersey and then, and then attended Stanford uh, University Graduate School of Business. And of course, we know Stanford, it's, it's deep connection to the deep state and the military and intelligence and all of that. Um, successful businessmen like Hirsch forget that they were educated in a classical model void of technology and screen addiction. They push harmful technologies on impressionable youth while they celebrate victory with their experimental investments. 
The expansion of education technology increased after Bush's No Child Left Behind, which baked in reading response to intervention, RTI, software, and, and companies like is is station is that is that how you say it is station i say i oh I yeah that makes sense i, <laughs> I station yeah. I, I was being too literal on that um i station we're waiting in the wings yeah. until we're waiting in the wings till the bill was signed in 2002. by 2003 i station was being piloted in major urban school districts in test in texas Dallas Morning News featured iStation in 2018. Dallas billionaire Dick Collins is building a digital curriculum that makes learning language and math skills as captivating as playing a video game uh, or playing video games and measuring student success for uh, a snap for teachers. So, and then we have Dallas based iStation turns classwork into child's play. And this is that book you were mentioning, uh, The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow. Uh, always the rainbow. Um, and so I'll just keep reading. Yeah, and I oh, think that... Wanna... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, the rainbow, I think... Um, I, I don't think it's just, like, the symbol that, uh, you know, God said uh, that he would never flood the earth again, the symbol of the rainbow in the Bible, but then there's also the rainbow and the LGBTQ and all the wars that are going on right now on that. And then, um, but in this book, it, it's um, it's more about the thinking of, I guess the, um, well, you can see the symbols on here, like peace and the, the yin and yang and all of these. I think that's even like a Baphomet that's on the right there. And then you've got the world, the trilateral commission. Like there's all of these, um, symbols that um, are part of this movement that is nudging us all kind of in the same direction. You have to think the same way. The whole world has to be on plan with this. And um, then the rainbow too in the colors and photonics and the spectrum that the rainbow and the, um, there's so much in that way that Allison has really tapped into the the photonics, which I don't, you know, fully understand that and that she can talk about some of that, but I think it's significant when you look at the inverse of the rainbow, God's rainbow and the LGBTQ rainbow and making that full circle and uh, all the things to do with light and um, sensors and LED and it's weird. And yeah, I was trying to look it up, but I think, isn't that the, Ome yeah, that's the Omega symbol. Uh, which one? The uh, oh, Alpha and the Omega. Uh, the the symbol that oh, they're standing the on. That. Yeah, the, the Omega symbol here. Oh, uh, oh you're it's right. kind of it's kind of cutting off, but it's uh, though I have it cropped. So whatever. Anyways, that, there's there's the Earth is surrounded by the Omega symbol. Anyways, but yeah, I think to me it's it seems to me like the rainbow represents diversity, and and Allison just sent a really great article about diversity. Um, in terms of they wanting they want everything in there because it's not like people think oh it's this you know if we just that's what I'm saying it's like oh if we just stop it's these guys it's the liberals or or, or others say oh it's the conservatives oh it's the capitalists it's you know the socialists they, they're th this system that they're building you know there's room for everybody under the dome <laughs> you know so <laughs> right the uh, thunderdome <laughs> the, 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 yeah we want <laughs> okay, so uh, so you write, my mom told me about a book a co-worker gave her in the 90s called The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow by Constant Cumbie. 
In it, Cumbie talks about Buckminster Fuller. She said, books by Buckminster Fuller clearly spell out an intent to give every world resident a number and require the usage of this number in all financial transactions uh, of any sort, including minor purchases with universal credit card. The movement has also been promoting the establishment of a, a gigantic global agencies. Oh, I keep... God, what is wrong with me? I always, you know, it's weird. You add words, you know, and then you, or you say the oh, yeah. words differently. It's kind of funny. The movement has also been promoting the establishment of gigantic global agencies for controlling the distribution of food and other vital resources. The motivation behind this proposal may be gleaned from the fuller writings. In order to control the world, one must control the world's supply routes. Now, I will just say on this that... You know, a lot of the framing, again, has historically been like this idea of the world government and it's going to be a centralized thing and, and they're going to dominate everything. But what they're building is 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 it's really the protocol that's centralized, but the, the, there's going to be it's, it's not going to be like one token or one currency that we're all going to be under or one. You know, I do think that you will need to have one ID, but it won't be your like you'll have a whole bunch of different identities and different IDs based on your different tokens that you use. And that's they even talk about that, like having different, you know, personalities online or whatever. Um, well, I think there will be different um, in as far as the geofencing it's like a bunch of little domes a bunch of little yeah they overlap yeah, i mean <laughs> yeah i don't think it will be one like true currency the 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 currency is through the technology so it it may all look pretty much the same but it's not going to be like one right I, I but they'll be interoperable and i think that's the key right, is interoperability. Is... Oh, that's actually a good one because i was watching a video that came from i get uh Dallas blockchain Google alerts. I don't know why Dallas was in there. I think that was an accident, but it was basically a World Economic Forum interview talking about what had uh, been discussed about blockchain and that that was a big focus with interoperability and all of this data. And, and so, yes, that's a, that is what they're also working on in education. There is a major push to get interoperability between the 50 states as well as just interoperability with all that is collected at every independent school district on every child uh, and being able to access that at the state level. Right. Okay, I'll continue on. Uh, so we've got the picture of uh, the dome here, uh, 1960. Uh, this is Richard Buckminster Fuller posing um in front of a dome and we, we see these all over the place disney world epcot i think we talk about that here um this is just about the buckyballs i won't even go into that spaceship spaceship earth uh spaceship earth is a dark ride attraction at the epcot theme park at walt disney F world in florida the geodesic sphere called spaceship earth was influenced by bucky fuller and has served as the symbolic structure of epcot since the park opened in 1982 disney's fast pass can be summed up as one giant study in human behavior and how to move people to desired outcomes through a series of nudges and incentives much like ants so yeah this is a video that i found uh, the channel is called defunct land yeah. uh it's it's pretty you interesting sent that to me. so i uh, yeah you sent that to me and i found that very i found it fascinating because really epcot and disney they've been studying us for decades how we move how they can nudge us how they can incentivize us and all of it is in in a sense it's a it is a game that whole disney 
world model. It's a game. And to see, and then you, they study people throughout the decades and how, and they show all the different, you know, the different leaders, the CEOs, and those who come and lead Disney. Um, and yeah, yeah, when I saw that, that cover on the YouTube link, it reminded me of these like reunion town a minute and then um, Epcot and that whole it's a small world after all and how and, and, and the other thing I want to point out too with the buckyballs so it's it's 20 hexagons pieced together so kind of like a, a soccer ball but soccer balls are um, pentagons not not uh, hexagons but they have all of those pieces together and that creates Oh, they, it does say in 12 pentagons, so it's not just hexagons, it's pentagons too. Huh, interesting. So it's a, a 60 carbon soccer ball shaped um, sphere. But when um, we talk a lot about the digital badging and um, the hexagon, the, the hexagon shape is representative of digital badges. So these skills and competencies that people are collecting um, for this future work are represented in digital badges. You see the hexagon shape often in blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency markets. That's a symbol a lot of companies use for their logos. So that's significant and um, because the the hexagon, if you're looking at bees and, and um, the, the um, in a beehive, it's the most efficient shape. That's why bees use hexagons in their beehive, because you can get the most uh, production at, with the least amount of, um, it, it's the most efficient shape. That's what Darwin says. Okay, I'll keep going. Or you okay. keep going. Yeah, yeah, sure. When I also mentioned that that channel that I found that the, I don't know who it is that has this channel, but they're really interesting. They're they're like little mini documentaries about Disney. But usually, when you see documentaries about Disney, it's like pro Disney. It's like oh, we're celebrating. It's like there's nothing, you know. <laughs> so this one actually has some, you know, they, there's actually some dirt <laughs> in the thing. And I, I would bring up this. This is uh, another one that. Um, this is uh, another video that that they have. I don't know if you can read it, but. Um, it's called uh, Walt Disney City of the Future, Epcot. And so that's another video that's worth checking out. That's They talk about his, you know, Walt Disney had these these visions of creating the future city. But what it was, it was just a totally controlled city where, you know, even the citizens didn't really have any, like, rights. You know, they were just, you know, they're supposed to perform a function, <laughs> you know. But everything would be provided for them, you know. You'd have you know, beautiful walking worries. And it was right, it was going to be right next to Disney. So you could go to the amusement park anytime you want, but it's pretty interesting, but everything from like the planned city from, you know, garbage to everything, you know, but he had these visions everything. of this, this future city, which is kind of what we're talking about. Like this life under the dome, um, in these, uh, planned corporate, uh, chartered cities. So anyways, I thought I would bring that. That's another one. I well, and, and Disney, so Epcot was inspired by Bucky and his Bucky balls. Uh, and, and, you know, I told you he called Earth, Spaceship Earth, and that is the name of the, you can read that in the next seg segment here about Spaceship Earth and the Dark Ride attraction at Epcot. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a, this is a tweet from when Allison was uh, on, back, back when she was still on Twitter. Um, Oh, this is when, when when Allison and I were down in Texas uh, at Rice University. Richard Smalley discovered fullerenes. Um, so yeah, there's a video there. I won't play it now, but um, yeah, this is where the buckyballs, the fullerenes, uh, 
um, were discovered. Oh, in Saturn. Saturn, which is interesting on, on the, so it, it, the historic marker there is a Saturn in the brick of this. Um, oh, yes, yes. Mark. And Saturn is interesting because um, the there is a hexagonal cloud that NASA supposedly found on Saturn. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was an interesting thing we noticed. There was just one of the bricks was Saturn, and um, and there's a lot of interesting things about it. Like there's there's all sorts of theories and stuff about Saturn, but yeah, uh, that's for another right. show. <laughs> Saturn, but yeah, exactly. Um, okay, Alison McDowell has written about the root meaning of the word domination and domes. She speaks often of Stephen Newcomb's work in the area of the doctrine of domination. It was actually, and they actually called it the doctrine of discovery. Uh, there's a doc. There's a documentary actually, doctrine of discovery, um, featured that features Stephen Newcomb. That's really good. Um, what it means to agree to live beneath the dome of governance and the yoke of submission. And if you look at the Liberty Bell, it actually hangs from a yoke. She said in her Soulbound Tokens Trust ne Networks in California's Big Test article, Biosurveillance track and trace data is an example of the kind of communal data or data commons they intend, to, intend for us to share as responsible members of society. In augmented reality, we must be tracked and traced with unique identifiers all the time, or layered data streams cannot be integrated, and information overlays fall apart. The digital empire cannot function without rivers of sensor-based geolocation data pouring over the entire planet, fed by ubiquitous sensing nanoparticulate smart dust. So yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a mouthful. Um, so yeah, she's got it. She's got this article, and I'll actually link to 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 Lynn's article here, so you can follow some of these links on your own. Um, so here we are, we, we, the world game. We've got um, yeah, creepy ass picture of uh, Buckminster yeah, Fuller. Let's play. let's play, Jason. Yeah, I'm I'm in. Can I get some tokens? Do do I win some tokens for for playing? Yeah. So yeah, this is uh, a Boris. Artis Bashif Bashef uh, drew this portrait of him in 1963. Um, <clears throat> Think Magazine, which is yeah. I. Think Magazine, which is IBM, November December wrote about Bucky Fuller's World Game in 1969. World Game was sometimes referred to as World Peace Game. It was an educational simulation created in 1961 to address overpopulation and the uneven distribution of global resources. It was designed to be an alternative to war games by using Fuller's Dymaxion map to solve metaphorical scenarios with a total world view. He was an avid futurist who dabbled in mathematics, engineering, environmental science, architecture, and art. He called the planet Spaceship Earth. So this is an article, Hey Silicon Valley, uh, Buck, Buckminster Fuller has a lot to teach from you. That's actually a Wired article that you have linked to here. And here's that photo you were talking about earlier with LBJ um, at the White House with the dome. And I also think, and I've never read the book, but Stephen King has a horror novel about like under the dome. Are you familiar with that? 
but and they're, they're actually they had a mini I, I should watch the mini series they, they they made a mini series of it but it was a city it's a city where people live under the dome because i guess the environmental the atmosphere was not whatever compatible for life and so they built a dome over the sea but i don't know the plot of the story but there is a stephen king story called under the dome <laughs> which i should probably well, look into i did not I didn't, you and I have talked about Logan's Run, and I didn't include that in all of this because oh, yeah. even though it is, uh, it, it was filmed in Dallas, it does uh, sort of relate to this in a lot of ways. In that, um, you know, the future city that that they created in Logan's Run, but um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's similar to what you just mentioned with Stephen King. Hmm. Yeah, interesting movie. <laughs> um. This photo of Bucky Fuller with LBJ gives me the creeps. <laughs> Fuller straight up wanted to build a dome over Manhattan. Wired's Tim McCow wrote, In 1960, Fuller hatched a plan to build a dome over Manhattan. It seems far-fetched. But only until you consider the geoengineering project, space mirrors, atmospheric sulfur injections, geoengineering currently being given serious thought. So... Um, any more on that? Which did you want? Reunion yeah. Tower, uh, and this is a, a a place here in in Dallas, and this is a lovely photo by an, an incredible artist uh, named Lynn Davenport in third grade. Um, yeah, I guess it would be. I did actually. I did get a blue ribbon for that, but that was the end of my my uh, art career. Oh, well, you should have continued on because it's lovely. <laughs> you got the. Uh, I, I was I was fixated with it. I mean, I really I I, I the skyline in Dallas. That's that's what kind of sets us apart from other cities. You know, it's Dallas when you see that. Our yeah, bird. it's kind of like the needle in 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 Seattle or something. Growing up in Dallas in the 1970s, I was fascinated with Reunion Tower, the geodesic dome or microphone tower as an icon within the famous Dallas skyline. The building originally served as a radio broadcast station. I could see it from my second story bedroom in elementary school and begged my mother to let me celebrate my birthday there at the lookout deck, which boasts a rotating cocktail lounge and restaurant at the top. I drew the Dallas skyline for my submission to an art contest so there's the there's the submission the winning <laughs> the winning submission <laughs> rightfully reunion tower reunion tower has been refitted with 259 custom led fixtures manufactured by altman lighting and color kinetics a division of phillips solid state lighting the lighting on the globe is often used for celebrations and political messages across the city they make it green for St. Patrick's Day, red and white, red, white, and blue for patriotic events. The globe was lit up in rainbow colors on June 26, 2015, to celebrate the Supreme Court ruling, which legalized same-sex marriage. I featured Reunion Tower Ball in my 2019 article on the global hive mind being cultivated in our cities and neighborhoods to create the global workforce. And here's a link. I guess this is a link to your article in 2019, right? Yeah, and that's where I just I started thinking about this 
tower and it, it seemed significant in this. Um, I'd actually read an article about Uber and how they were doing the geofencing and Uber was trying to hexagonify the world. And so in the article, it has three uh, pictures of the globe and it has these little hexagons connecting the whole globe together. And so when you break it down, it's like a bunch of hexagonal cells and then there are smaller cells within those cells. And really the world is a pretty small place when you can connect all of those little hexagonal regions together. And Uber, I realized, was not really a transportation company. It's really a, uh, a company for, for um, it's like uh, geospatial tiling and tiling the earth and breaking us down into those cells to be able to track and for the smart cities and know where everyone's going. They just used it as a transportation model to get us to buy into this um, technology. And that's why Uber doesn't make it. This is just my um, take on it. So why Uber doesn't make any money. Uh, so it has a, a larger purpose, a dual use like those we always talk about. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Well, it's interesting too. these companies that, that our, our concepts of, of business and markets don't really there's there's certain corporations and of course the banks of, in, in a major way. They don't have to go by the rules of the market because they have uh, they're they're granted loans and their their loans are canceled and they're given money and they're given all sorts of things like it's not about making money and markets for you know these certain corporations and certain institutions and so uh, that's a really hard one for people to wrap their mind around the idea that they're not actually well, i think everything's about money and it's not all about money so it there's other agendas yeah profitable. it's it's not about just being profitable correct yeah that's right and so but the, as far as like i look at it too it's like worker bees in this workforce it's uh, and, and but now Allison's saying it's really more ants, so just disregard the bees. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll talk about that. Well, and, and actually, there's there's some more. Even there's even more things that Allison um, has come up uh, with regarding Uber. I mean, there was an article she just sent me again about this diversity, and it was talking. They they even mentioned Uber in there in terms of like knowledge management, mm -hmm. and. Um, and actually, we have we have Allison who just joined us. So there, here we go. Let me unmute you, Allison. We were just talking like about that. we were just talking about Uber and um, you know geofencing. And I was just telling Lynn about that article um, regarding diversity and and particularly knowledge management. And and like one of the things that they mentioned in there was how uh, they don't want you know they have a map where you can look where your where your Uber car is. Um, so they have all this information, but they hide the information from the people that are in need of Uber cars from the drivers, because if they were to do that, all the drivers would swarm to, to the area where that, that's, they're going to get the most work. So they're managing, you know, through, through information, the management of who sees what information th they can manage the situation, but they can't just have everybody know everything. Um, right. you know, so we were just mentioning mm -hmm. that. And we're just finishing up on this article, so, and then we'll just kind of join in a general discussion. I've been just reading the article, Allison, and we've been stopping at points and, and discussing. So in late 2021, Allison McDowell wrote an in-depth article on esports called Poverty Identity and Child Gamers in the Rio, Fa Rio Favelas. 
She said a January 2021 article in the Esports Observer states that Afro Games has partnered with the Rio de Janeiro Secretary of Sports, Recreation and Youth. Children who participate in the program have access to trainers, psychologists and mentorship programs. But how much data is being collected on players, physical and mental performance, and where does it go? What are the ethics of creating a digital economy that expects youth to play first-person shooter games so their family has enough to eat? It's as if these battles royale have become today's gladiator tournaments. This is happening in communities traumatized by perpetual gun violence, including violence carried out by the state. And then this is a link to, to her article she included a debate with derek bros where she said i presume he means my tweets stating his support of play to earn gaming schemes that are promoted by the world economic forum were not cool she further responded i remind you these comments related to the clip above are about play to earn crypto gaming schemes targeting poor children in the global south regarding consent can children give consent in online spaces for transaction? Who is to say these spaces are safe? To me, enterprises like Splinterlands looks, look like rackets to siphon money to the top. This doesn't look like a space where children should be earning a living. So again, that's like one aspect of it, but we've obviously, there's a lot, it's, it's <laughs> blown up into something even much bigger than just that. But yeah, there was a big conflict with a Derek bros around th this, you know, this support of, um, you know, what Allison was, um, saying was basically child labor. And, um, mm -hmm. but he was saying that the idea of sovereignty, children's sovereignty, and, and your, your, your right to, to make money playing video games. Um, comments on that, <laughs> either of you? either of you? Well, I think it's still very relevant, right? I mean, one of the things I wanted to sort of, um, you know, when you share that article in and I'm like, yeah, this is definitely something to write about is that I'm working in a parallel track now around um, a very large futures options trading firm based in Philadelphia that's connected to the uh, educational choice space uh, at Susquehanna International Group. and. I was realizing that in addition to trading these futures, which is um, essentially legalized gambling, right? Like um, using information, maximizing information flows to make educated guesses about where the market's gonna move. And, and it's given a nice name, like they're market makers and they provide liquidity. You know, that's, what, that's what's said in the finance sectors. But this organization is built on a gambling culture. In fact, they train their traders in poker in addition to high level math. And they had been making investments in esports, um, and they had been making investments in online uh, gaming and gambling enterprises, which at this point are still primarily offshore. Um, because as I understand it, it's hard for me to like keep track of all the nuance. But I think there's no federal law, so it's like state by state for managing online gaming, which isn't very efficient. But in Europe, it's broader, so they have a bigger market, and and they had set up a, an entity in Dublin. Uh, which is the same city that Flutter Entertainment is, which is like the largest gambling operation. And so in looking at gambling on uh, sport, like regular sports gambling, right? Just like bookies, right? Online international gambling uh, for regular live sports that are played by real people on a regular field. Um, 
then there's also being a pivot into gambling on esports. I mean, it's huge. I, I don't know, maybe you guys talked about it, but like the arenas full of people watching teams of people playing multiplayer video games. And the idea at this point that the betting on the, <coughs> the video game sporting is much smaller than say betting on football or soccer or other things. Um, but if once you understand that everything is a bet in the metaverse, like you could literally bet on anything and these new models of, of gaming and betting are actually in game. So the bets placed don't have to be placed before the game starts. It actually flows into the game itself. And so as the game unfolds, you can place new bets or change your bets. And so it's how this works in instantaneous time in the metaverse and all the sensor networks, it's gonna totally, you know, It'll be interesting to see how that affects the gambling world, but it's it's only growing. This stuff is only growing, and Susquehanna International Group is is a key player in the space um, of normal sports betting. Now, esports, in addition to money, cash money, you can also bet in-game items as well. And and what I was, I think we we had a conversation that essentially behavior management in schools now. It's, it, the, the education is becoming gamified and the behavior management is becoming gamified through things like class dojo. And so you have an assigned avatar, like a little monster, and that you can earn um, points, good behavior points, and earn things for that monster, like, I guess, clothes or different things. That's just the same as an in-game economy. It's the same mechanism. And so in the gambling for video game gambling, you can ga gamble with cash or you can gamble with what they call skins, which are things that you apply over an item that you have to make it fancier. Like you could, you have a basic sword, but you could put a skin on it. It doesn't change, I think, the, the powers of the sword, but it changes the appearance. And so there's whole other subsets of gambling that are just like barter gambling, right? Like in, you know, different kinds of tokens. They're not actually cash, it's other things. And so... Anyway, I, I think it's just really important that we understand that the human capital finance piece is really just legal gambling. But once we start to move children into esports teaming, it's it's opening up all of these other new betting, you know. And the and in the bets, there's also this decision theory and choice theory. They're making um, ranking like how the play goes to um, further profile the players and then make predictions about how they play the game and what their future strategies are, which is the poker part. Well, and, and looking at like, you have that guy, Ken Hirsch and, and thinking about energy. Uh, I know with the energy markets, there's trading on energy futures. Uh, so is it kind of the same idea that you can trade on the, the gaming, um, like hedging your bets on, I mean, is that what you're saying? Like they're the well, essentially, markets? yeah. Like the options is almost like insurance that they buy all the bets. Like this gentleman, um, Jeffrey Yass, who's in charge of Susquehanna International Group. Like his strategy is that you you get enough big piles of money, and then you figure out what the good bets are, and there may be a variety. And it doesn't matter if you lose a lot because when you win, you'll win big, and so you'll always come out over the long haul ahead because you've had enough money to place all the bets. So you can lose a lot of bets and still make money on the few bets that you win. And so this idea of hedging your bets, that's definitely central to their strategy. Um, but I would also say with Hirsch and the energy trading, 
you know, you, you said something interesting, Jason, about like physicality of the esports, right? Um, and and some of it actually is physical. Like some of it, you're just sitting in a chair, but some of it, like the Wii Sports, you actually there is a physical aspect to it. And so um, I don't know if you remember, Lynn, but back when we were doing, you know, the well, when I was more involved in the education space, places like Florida would um, allow their physical education credits to be in game. So they had it structured, um, I think in Florida to graduate, you needed a certain amount of physical education classes. Um, but the kids who were on the fast track, who were trying to get lots of credits and get into some fancy school, they didn't really wanna waste their credit on gym. So what they would do is they would do an extra credit or do it in the summer and they would just do it through e-fitness, like through an online gaming app. And so as long as you could provide the data that you went jogging with a wearable or that you played like a bunch of Wii tennis, like that counted as physical education. And in, you know, at the time we were still, like our focus was not as expansive as it is now. So we were just like, well, that doesn't seem hmm. right. You know? Because they didn't just drop the PE requirement, they just turned it into a, a totally gamified experience. But if you imagine a future where wearables might be able to harvest piezoelectric energy off of your physical activity <laughs> like i could totally see whole rooms of people doing wee tennis you know in a piezoelectric suit like and, and right now i mean i'm not saying that makes a ton of energy like they're just they're saying it's about um you know powering your own wearable but there is something about the energy trade and i, I wanted to mention about hirsch and and like the idea of psychology and poker he funded an, an, uh, a program at Notre Dame uh, called ND Gain, which was a sustainability institute. I think it was in 2013, he established it there. Now, Notre Dame is a center for, now their, their business school, the Mendoza Business School, they've sponsored the uh, impact finance conferences at the Vatican, okay? They also channel a lot of military sensor technology contracts. So an IARPA, they've, they've got a lot of projects with social sensing and, um, and then they have the Sustainability Institute. And then Hirsch's wife, is it Julie? Do you remember her name? Yeah, Julie. Julie. Okay, yeah, so, so she's a Notre Dame alum. So there's a connection there, but then, you know, their foundation was it, was it um, Southwestern University, um, Southwestern Medical? They were sponsoring research for depression screening that eventually segued into Vital Sign 6. Right. And that, 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 Jason, we were talking about the green light credentials. So Vital Sign 6 is the mental health app that's tied in and stored on blockchain through green light. Um, and then, Allison, when you were talking about wearables and physical fitness and PE that made me think of the Cooper Aerobics Center who also had they also have a partnership with Greenlight Credentials to store the the physical fitness data so all of this is uh, bringing it's bringing all of that information onto these e-wallets um, right it's interesting that they're all somewhat connected because Dallas is uh, is a central player in this esports and um, e-wallets and blockchain wallets space. Yeah. 
Well, in, in some of the work I've been doing the last couple months about around this complex adaptive systems and this idea of an ant computer or uh, game B, a decentralized game, you know, distributed game on, you know, distributed letter, ledger technology. Um, there is an aspect, uh, there's, there's a book that I've been reading lately, I, I have it in the other room, but it's called Stealing Fire and I've mentioned it to you. And it is about like, the mechanics of mobilizing individual consciousness into a group mind, into that hive mind, and, and how they want to transition people into that space. Now, video games are very much part of this state of flow. Um, the, the state of flow is something that is, is very much connected to video gaming. Like, again, there's some kids where you try to intervene and they get really angry about it because their, their brain, their consciousness has been put into the machine. Um, but I, I think about the, the entrainment and like the mental health screenings, you know, they want to be able to coordinate people into this social computing system. And if they can have wearable technologies and screening technologies in the guise of mental health, oh, we care, you know, because we are seeing it everywhere. Oh, we're so concerned about mental health. And I'm not saying that issues of anxiety and depression aren't a problem, but I don't think that they're after it for the same reasons that we might think they're for the common good. I think they're trying to get in people's heads <laughs> and steer them into this, into this computing system. And so a lot of the new gaming interfaces actually are like EEG helmets, where you're not even going to be using the haptic controllers that you're gonna actually be accessing it with your mind directly. And, and right now, you know, they don't have the nano transducers. You still have to put on this clunky helmet. But the, the talk I gave in Tucson two summers ago about the smart city gaming, that was centering um, that one of the very first slides I had was a, uh, it almost looks like a bike helmet. It's a little slimmer than a bike helmet, but it has electrodes and you could order it as a kit and assemble it yourself. And they're trying to drop the price points. And so I can totally see that the um, the esports gaming eventually segueing into more and more sophisticated wearables and EEG management to get people in the flow, to get them to flip the switch and be a team member. And so yeah. the Hirsch, like both the sustainability cover and then the mental health cover gives them access, gives them legitimate access to vulnerable populations to get into, into their heads. And he yeah. would have foresight into those markets given his position he would yeah. he would have he'd, he'd be an early adopter seeing those things because they are there they lead a lot of the trends and the economic trends i mean it's a think tank essentially where he works yeah yeah and it's a and it again there's this thing is multi-layered so like markets is like one piece of it but i think what we're we're starting to discover is that you know this the whole cybernetics and the steering it's like and we just you know mentioned it, it's like it's not there there are aspects of this which are actually not about making money they're not about markets they're not about competition or any of the other things and it's not about democracy or anything like that or creating you know there's there's a lot of layers to this <laughs> well the other right. thing i wanted to mention lynn i don't know if you remember but um back in the day when um Oh gosh, what Fortnite was such a big deal, like first on the scene. And we had a mutual friend who was a second grade teacher. And I remember this friend who had a blog in Maine. Uh, she was 
really upset because she was a second grade teacher. So these kids are like eight years old. And I think it was predominantly boys, but I don't know exclusively, but and they would be asleep in class. And she couldn't get them to participate because literally they'd stayed up all night playing Fortnite. And, and it was just this phenomenon that swept through at this point, it's probably been five or six years um, from that happening. And we, none of like yeah. people didn't really understand what that was about. Now, I do think that there's a yeah. certain, again, flow state and entrainment that, that gets kids. But when I dialed back because Epic Games that created Fortnite was at the DNC in Philadelphia, I think in 20, 2016, was it? And um, their whole dog and pony show was that we need the children to uh, code our games. And that was education in the creative economy. We need the children to code our games. And, and I only later realized that he meant build the digital empire, like build the metaverse. That's what he means. Um, but they were able to build Fortnite with money from Tencent in China. Now, I'm not always saying, again, it's not, oh, point the fingers at China, because it's a partnership. There's a give and take there. But Tencent was yeah. working on um, digital payment systems, facial recognition, you know, tokenization, um, all of those things that were coming. And so... You know, even at that point, I recognized there's a lot of data that's generated. Like it's very, very high levels because they want to keep you playing. They know exactly when you're like flagging and you're ready to maybe turn it in for the night to like drop you some opportunity or give you some points to keep you like jazzed. Mm. It's just like the slot machines. It, it's very sophisticated. And if you were planning to enact a digital empire in 20 years, wouldn't it be savvy to create these gaming opportunities that you could track geo by geography and understand it's a team game, correct? It's teaming. What would all of those data points tell you about how people saw the world and organized and their strategies based on their cultural geographies? Like you would totally do that and you would build robust profiles of what a Dallas team looks like and what a Boston team looks like and what a Nairobi team looks like and what a, you know, Beijing teams looks like. And oh, like the, the bike. What was the bike? What's the, the word that they use? Um, Peloton. Peloton yeah. is that uh, team idea where you're you're together in these teams and you're, it um, harnesses energy and it it makes, uh, how do I say it, the, the less energy output. You can do more with less energy when you work together. Less friction, I think, probably, too. Friction. Yeah, and then um, the other thing I thought of when you were talking is with iStation and how uh, they they incentivize the kids so that the teachers get some sort of, you know, incentive for getting the kids to log in more hours on iStation, which is the reading oh. response to intervention software. And then um, at home, they can also log in. And so the more hours and minutes are really minutes they spend on iStation there, they get, and there is some sort of incentive because they need as many hours as they can keep the kids on those uh, programs. I mean, that's just one of, of, you know, many examples in education where they, the kids are incentivized to go and spend more time on their 
But see, and that's a single player. It's you and the device largely. But the multiplayer, uh, like the Fortnites, mm -hmm. like the esports, it's actually a team behavior. And that's much more interesting for the AI is the teaming. And that's actually what I think like Susquehanna International Group is looking at their focus is poker because poker is um, incomplete information in the game. And, and, and the desire is always to maximize the information that you have to make the most informed prediction, right? So it's really a struggle over data is, is what, you know, and, and, and in that uh, unknown space is where the human intuition and creativity becomes. And so I, I think that that is why in the teaming, especially for children, like young people, because adults have been really conditioned largely. Like it takes a lot of effort to decondition yourself or to start to decondition yourself out of how you were brought up and look at it differently. Um, if you get kids early, they haven't had as much conditioning. And so I think that the spark of their creativity is even more vibrant in some ways than like you know, adults that, again, know what lane to stay in, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're, we have a fixed mindset, as they say. <laughs> and so they get the, the fresh, open, and the impressionable minds of the kids. And yeah, it's an opportunity. So but, um, yeah, you're right about the, the therapy. So that's why this esports now is such a big thing. Uh, in, in moving the kids in that direction, because then they'll say, oh, well, with the socialization issues that came out of the pandemic, uh, this is a, a, a remedy for that. Then they can be, they can belong to something, they can have the social aspect of it. And then um, the, uh, what do they call it? The social lifeline is what Richardson called it. And then they have the the kids. How the long before they're going to be pushing it? It's like anti-depression. It's going to be part of yes, your mental health prescription. Right now, you have a reason to get up in the morning, so you can go sit on your butt and play esports. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Well, I will say the one other thing about the Peloton. So, um, oh gosh, I I'm, oh, I always forget his name, but there's a guy in New York. He owns Soul Cycle. Okay, he's a re big real estate developer. He's it's related companies, and he was originally from Florida, and now he's a giant New York guy. Steve something. And um, he's a major player in impact finance. And he helped develop, uh, redevelop Hudson Yards. Uh, but there's a big soul cycle, again, soul. And it's, I don't know, what do you call those? Stephen Ross. Oh, Stephen Ross. Yeah. Okay. Stephen Ross. And um, so I'm thinking about the whole, I mean, th this is another part of a map that I've been working on, but the idea of stationary bikes as energy sources and in gaming, because there was that Black Mirror episode called 15 Million Merits, this idea that everyone was trapped in this underground area and um, the, the sporty people would all go and ride their stationary bikes all day and consume content. And, and then part of the content was this reality TV program where they got a chance to like be creative, only it wasn't what they thought. But it's all about providing physical activity and earning tokens. And within some of this stuff, there is a token engineering component. Um, and the the token foundation, so the, the people who've actually been piloting social physics and digital identity for a long time are Sandy Pentland and John Clippinger at MIT. And uh, Clippinger led something called the 
um, well, they created something called the Open Mustard Seed Project, which was digital ID. And they had a program that evolved into this token commons project. And it was in Cambridge for like 15 years. And then in 2019, they relocated it to Austin. And instead of just being about digital identity, it was going to be about energy, energy management. And then a lot of the people who were tied to this in Austin had ties to energy trading. And again, it's energy futures trading. It's the Enron folks. It's the smartest guys in the room. So there is this overlap somehow between consciousness, children, lifelong learning, and this idea of energy futures trading that has to do with the decentralized ledger technology and the tokenization. Um, so I'm going to, I have to write more up about that coming up, but yeah, you've got, and I'm looking yeah, forward okay. to your new piece. Oh, go ahead. Um, I'm looking forward to it too. And I always come back to the influence that John Arnold, you know, he made out as a billionaire after the Enron deal. And he then spends, it's not just education where he uses his Arnold foundation and Arnold ventures. Um, the work that they do, it's also in uh, prison and recidivism and, and um, bail reform. But a big part of his emphasis was on the schools and taking over the Dallas ISD. He went to Dallas ISD, a Dallas ISD high school. And um, so, yeah, I think that is significant with his portfolio model that, that um, he partnered with our TEA commissioner. And, and so I think that's going, we're going to figure out down the road that that was significant, what you're saying, Allison, whether they yeah. know it or not, I don't know, but they're part of it. Yeah. So, um, and, and when I was in, oh, sorry. Do you need no, to no, keep going. No, keep going. No, keep no, I was just going to say, so in, so in third grade, like I, I'd had sort of a traumatic early elementary experience with busing in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And so I finally got in this nice little elementary school in third grade and the teacher was so lovely and she did class novel read alouds, Mrs. Nevius, and she had in the back of the classroom, a cardboard geodesic dome. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so we both had like our early experiences with geodesic dome. Third grade. It was like a reading hook with like carpet squares. You could go, if you did all your work, you could go in and read in the geodesic dome, which I don't know how that worked because it would have been dark in there. But anyway, it was awesome. And I can still remember it. So thank you, Mrs. Nebus. I don't know what like we were being imprinted with in the dome. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't know anything about That's it. That's really funny. Well, and you know, I went to SMU and I, I, I forget if that's where I had a speech issue, but um, I also had a learning issue. And so they put me on Ritalin and they gave me this eight track computer and with all these cartridges. And I want to say it was SMU that gave me that, but I don't know where they sent me. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting that <laughs> all these things that happened to us, now you fast forward and you go, why am I, why am I seeing well, and I'm just looking at the I dome. Know. I mean, I do want to emphasize that the, the cybernetic component only works in an enclosed space because it's a feedback loop, right? And so there, there was a clip we were looking at yesterday, Jason, about like machine learning and um, markets and emergence. And there was this question that was thrown up about infinity. Like, is the universe infinite? Like, can we mathematically prove it? And there was some back and forth. And I, I'm not good at the really high level thinking, but they felt that this was a really important question. This, is the universe infinite? And I'm starting to feel just based on anecdotal evidence of what I keep bumping into that the, the people in the most high level positions of power 
feel that the universe is, is open-ended, but they need for us to understand it as closed, to contain us and keep us in the cybernetic feedback loop. They need it to be a closed system. Um, because if it is um, open to all sorts of emergent possibilities, then we don't have to just sit down and do what they say, that's their solution, right? Or the world's, we're all gonna die and the world's gonna end. If there are a lot of emergent possibilities in an open universe, then we could say, well, I agree there's a problem, but I, I don't really like that solution. I think we should talk about some other options. You know, maybe something else will emerge. We're not allowed to have that conversation. We're just the people in the geodesic dome. And so that idea, interestingly enough, and this is like, some days I wonder like, am I living in a video game, whatever? Um, but I like last month I was in near Penn's campus. We were just getting breakfast and I was meeting up with Neil and we were walking just through a residential neighborhood, like this uh, West Philadelphia, you know, these 18, 19 teens houses, old houses. And there was a little, one of those little lending libraries where they, you know, got the little boxes on a stick with books. And it's like, take a book if you want to. And I always like, not always, but I like to go and look and see, like, is there a message for me in this book, in this lending library? Like, are there any books that I'm supposed to take? Like, what books are in here? And it was a very eclectic assortment. And I closed it, and then I opened it again, and there was, I'm like, let me look one more time. And there is this book. I don't know. Think I don't know if you can see it. So it's called. It says, "The Meaning of the 20th Century: The Great Transition." Kenneth E. Boulding. All right. So this book, and this this book is actually. The Great Transition, it's 1964. So I was born in 68. So this like predates me. And um, are those you know, ones not, and zeros on there? Are those ones and like zeros? I can't see what the. It's like a fence. I don't, and then like it's like a tire tracks or something. I don't know. It's very strange. There's not ones and zeros, but. Like, and if you look at the okay. side, you can't even read like it, the, it was clearly. Um, faded from the, so I couldn't even read the title, but Kenneth Boulding, I don't know, can we go back to, yeah. So Kenneth Boulding, I've talked about him a number of times. He was the one who developed like the idea of the earth as a spaceship. Like it was Kenneth Boulding who did it. And like nobody, I can't imagine anybody else in Philadelphia would have walked by that box and understood who <laughs> Kenneth Boulding was. And this is like an original 1964 book of how the 20th century. And you know, the, the chapters are, um, things like the, the great transition, science, the basis of the great transition, uh, the, the difficult takeoff of economic development, uh, the, the, the you know, overpopulation trap. It's every single thing that, that Buckminster Fuller was doing at the time. And that is part of the cybernetic system. Like, because it, it, it corresponded with the space program because we, they got the first, you know, however you want to understand about the space program, but there were these pictures of the earth from a distance and they're like, see, we're like a spaceship. Everything has to be limited and then it all has to be controlled. And at the same time, that's the rise of personal computing and supercomputing and um, the takeoff, you know, I'm sure in, in Dallas of TI, Texas Instruments and where it all went. But we had to understand it, that we were in a universe that was limited and computable. Not like we're not supposed to think that there might be something that's not computable out there, right? And that's again, you know, part of it I think is sort of the the death of God conversation, right? Um, I was revisiting this weird PBS special with Morgan Freeman about I was trying to get this clip with the metronomes that had Ben Gertzel in it, and it was all about like 
maybe the aliens don't have a God. And I'm like, how is this even on PBS? Like, but it was very <laughs> scientific about the tipping point. They were very sure that the tipping point would be that God would be dead by 2050. And, you know, and I've been talking a bit about some of this stuff with Cliff is that this is like almost composed, like token engineering is a, a control mechanism, but with this diversity and this idea of a computer, a social computer, they want to identify us as all these different units that on command, like a conductor can stand at the front and, and violins, cellos, drums, whatever, and bring it up. And I feel like there is something that is that intends to conduct life on this planet through sensor technologies, through frequencies, through some sort of larger communication. But um, for that conductor to like get up on the stage, like the old conductor has to, you know, wh whoever you imagine that old conductor is, like the creative force of the universe has to be like shoved aside and, and, and before the c computer conductor can show up, you know? And so anyway, I just, when I see oh. that dome, that image of the dome, that's, it's like, yeah, they need us to live in it because if we live outside it, as Stephen Newcomb said, like, I mean, if you're if you're going to choose to live outside it, then you have to be willing to to understand that the full power of the global finance and military system will be right up next to you. <laughs> well, and I, I actually think it's more a matter of just you're you're going to be excluded than it is that they're going to be attacking you. But that's but that is in a way an attack because you're excluded from basically living necessity you know like that's so it's it's not that they actually have to like go after you they just take away from you your, your ability and and that's very powerful you know your ability to to function or survive <laughs> outside the dome yeah you'll get, you'll get walled off can i can i read a little thing out of this so this is a book that steppers gave me a while ago and i haven't had a chance to totally dip into it but it's about um it's called carbon queen the Remarkable Life of Nanoscience Pioneer Mildred Dresselhaus. And um, so she was at MIT, and this is a pretty new book, and this is about buckyballs. Um, and it's carbon nano. And it's interesting, because I was just looking through these pages about the buckyballs and carbon nano, was that I think some of that work was, like the carbon nano is soot. And so I think it might've actually been en uh, Exxon or one of the oil companies that, that that like was looking into it as well, which which makes sense in terms of the the, the soot and the carbon. Um, but essentially, the discovery of fullerenes that they then constructed as this ball structure, soccer ball kind of structure, um, was the the big burst of energy behind nanotechnology. So this was the big, um, and it says, uh, fullerenes were one of the first big bolts of energy that helped popularize the field. Otto Jorio, a professor of physics at the Federal University of Minas Gerais and a former postdoc with Dresselhaus Group noted in 2017 in reference to the now booming area of carbon nanostructures. But it's important to remember that the fullerene discovery could never have been possible if Millie had not done all the research before it. Despite the buckyball's early promise, the molecule has been somewhat of an underachiever. C60 has found limited roles in biomedicine, but many other promising applications have not materialized. Nevertheless, the molecule's revelation was and is still regarded as a major breakthrough. In part, its discovery helped to usher in the beginning of the nano age. It provided tantalizing support for physicist Richard Feynman's famous 1959 prediction that there is plenty of room at the bottom. 
meaning the infinitesimally small specks of, of matter, even individual atoms can be manipulated and employed to create tools with desirable built-in properties. Um, C60 paved the way for the discovery of carbon nanotubes, which have to date had a much stronger impact on the world. And as we see, were a highly fruitful muse for Millie in the latter third of her life. And so some of the stuff about the carbon nano, um, and Steffers had looked into this more, was that it's like the research stops and then it goes dark and then there's nothing for like 40 years. And so there's like something bubbles up and then it goes black and it goes behind like top secret. And so you know, I think the sense of that is that this woman scientist at MIT um, was a key person behind the rise of the field of nanotechnology and nano engineering, but um, was never really acknowledged as such because much of her work that enabled the later public work when it was ready to go public in the 80s and 90s, um, like it was still too top secret. They couldn't even acknowledge that it had happened. And again, like in, in terms of understanding futurism, you know, even in the fit, like the 20s, Jason, you just got the book, The World, the Flesh and the Devil. Um, the 20s, these crystallographers were already imagining how they imagined the, where it would go. And so, you know, I feel like a lot of these technological systems, well, on the one hand, I think it's, it's hard to figure out where they're bluffing and where they actually have the cards, right? You know, it's the poker analogy. Are they bluffing about that, that they have these technologies, the Yuval Hararis, are they doing this to scare us? Or, you know, are, do they have these things in their back pocket and they're just waiting to create the socially appropriate environment to roll them out? Um, so anyway, I think that's kind of interesting. And, and can I say one other thing about Peter Stone? Because the teaming, the teaming, teaming, teaming is so important. It's like, mm. these are multiplayer team sports. And I would say anybody who hasn't read um, Cory Doctorow's For the Win, it's a young adult novel, but it taught me pretty much everything about um, digital economics and remote teaming because it centers on a gaming environment that then brings in the real world like as extended reality and i think that book is from at least 20 years old i i know i read it like eight years ago so it's a very important book and then also ready player one right which is set in well not set in austin but the author was from austin and knowing about peter stone at ut austin he's the chair of um sony uh, ai north america and he's been working for well over a decade with high-level roboticists in Japan on what's called RoboCup. And so they're working to get teaming behaviors in robots to play soccer. And, and again, you can, you, you can sense the importance of teaming in that he is the head of AI for Sony in North America. Very, very high position, right? His focus is, is team and swarm-like behaviors. Um, and, and so it's one thing to get the robots embodied and doing the right thing, but then it's it's another it's another whole thing that if we become extensions of the robots and getting us to team, and I think that's in part where the nano and the frequency comes in. Yeah, so um, there's just a little bit more on this article, so why don't I just finish this and then we'll continue on because uh, there's only just we're almost at the end of it. Also, this 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 video, love is a metaphysical gravi gravity. Yeah. How long is the don't video? Don't play that. Yeah. Okay. Don't even play it. It's super weird. It's just <laughs> when I saw him, I thought that was, it's just, I don't would, know. It's creepy. Would, and, go ahead. Well, in the video, you, there was a quote that said, the universe is never at absolute zero. If our eyes are more sensitive to different 
to the different frequencies of the electromagnetic spectrum, we would be able to see that everything radiates photon vibrations continuously. Fuller believed that we belong to the collective universe rather than individual endowed rather than individuals endowed by our creator. And then here's an image uh, from a, I guess it's an album or, or no, it's a book with photographs. Uh, Fuller yeah. wrote a book. Yeah, it's a book that was on, on uh, one of those uh, used book sale places. But yeah, I, it just, you know, it, it, it's the, like what Allison was saying about accessing the children and they're impressionable and they're open minded. And, and so it just, it made me realize, uh, you know, that he was, no different. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult. Like it's, it's again, like there's layers to this, but like the idea that we're all part of, we're all connected and we're all, you know, like I actually kind of believe that in it, but in a different way, not in the way that they're saying of like, you know, we need some sort of like computer to manage us or anything. But I do, as a general principle, I do think we need to see ourselves as part of, of a big family and, and, and like, you know, not a collective per se, but like, you know, we are connected and, but this is like kind of turning it on its head. So like, I don't necessarily come from like the creator perspective, but I also like the, the ideas that they're promoting in terms of collective, you know, the collective universe, the way that they're, they're framing it, I'm totally opposed to, uh, but I do think that there's right. a problem. Like it, it's, it goes back to the whole, the individual versus the community conversation that we've had a lot of, you know, and, and it's like these, these things, these ideas are pit against one another. And now they're, they're, they're merging into something that, that is, you know, kind of a, a singular, a singular thing. Well, this is significant when he says he sees man's capabilities wonderfully reflected. So it's that mirror in the fresh, fresh minds of children and speaks to the child who lives in all people. So it's, I mean, I, I hate to look at it so in a, such a sinister way, but I do believe that these are sinister agendas that uh, have moved through the ages. And if he sees our capabilities, maybe that's innocent, or maybe he sees that it's the children that are going to be the key to accessing those fresh minds will be the key to creating this. Yeah. Well, and the idea of the super organism, again, you're, you're, you're not an individual, you're, you're a cell within a super organism that's being, you know, they frame it as, as being some sort of organic thing, but that's not the case. I mean, it's, it's it's clearly being steered and guided by these enlightened people who, you know, know best. <laughs> uh, I'll just read the last. Well, yeah, go ahead and read the last and I'll, I'll uh, just give my two cents as a mother of three children, two of which are boys who played soccer. So go ahead. Okay, I'll just finish this up and then we'll. Um, Fuller wrote a book called Buckminster Fuller uh, to Children of the earth one seller review said youth he says sees this and will settle for nothing less he sees man's capabilities wonderfully reflected in the fresh minds of children and he speaks of the child who lives in all people children have long been the target of exploitation and extraction for cheap labor esports is cloaked in positive language to fool parents into supporting uh the movement the agenda goes well beyond the obvious model for profit, which we just talked about. Children are necessary players in this global simulation where every move is tracked and harvested for their energy source. Uh, give your kids 
a real ball and close the digital device. So anyway, so that's, that's, that's the end of that article. So now uh, go ahead out, uh, Lynn. Yeah, well, I just, I know that I don't want to be hypocritical. My kids did play video games, but I also saw a change in their behavior if they did it too long. And I couldn't control everything. They would go to friends' houses and some parents let them play longer than others. But I was, I, there was always friction there for me to get them off of that and to go outside and to keep them doing, uh, you know, real activities where they're moving and, and healthy activities. Uh, but it, it's, um, I read an article in uh, the New York Times and it was talking about the digital divide and that it's not what we think, that it's actually the real digital divide is not that poor kids don't have access to devices and, and rich kids do, it's that rich kids have access to safer, uh, neighborhoods, you know, like where they can run around and it's safe for them to run to a friend's house or play outside. Whereas in some of these really um, high, heavy, you know, high crime areas, the parents don't feel comfortable. So they want their kids to be, to be able to do something. And so they're playing these things indoors. And, and it's a myth that poor kids don't have access to technology because they do. And we know that the, they're not just getting it through the schools, their, their parents, um, they may not have money for, you know, a car, but they, they do have, they find money for the kids to have the devices, the video games, they'll save up for those things. So there is not really a digital divide in that way. The digital divide is all kids are on devices, have access to technology, uh, and the the kids who are in safer neighborhoods have more healthy um, activities that are not connected to hmm. devices. Yeah, I hadn't heard that one. I do have a book called The Digital Divide, but I haven't uh, read it. <laughs> but I always thought historically that, that it was just like, oh, we need to get everyone. Well, this was 10, 15 years ago, because I think when that term first came out, they were talking about it in terms of, you know, kids getting access to the internet and get, you know, devices. So uh, obviously the situation has changed where everyone, you know, mm -hmm. just about ha now has a device. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I want to just say one thing real quick. You might notice I have a, a, a different background today. Uh, thanks to uh, Allison. Um, let me go full screen real quick here. Uh, yeah. I, I, um, you know, Allison made this quilt for me and I was like, Allison, can I use that as my background? Like that actually, would you, would you be offended if I use that? As a, Cause it's so beautiful, but, uh, yeah, I just, that, that's, uh, anyways, that's, uh, mesmerizing. That's, that's the quilt or at least it's a part of it. I I'm, I'm zoomed in a little bit. It's actually much bigger. Let me see if I can zoom out. Let's see. Uh, uh, anyway, you get, you get my the screen's idea. locked. Oh, you can't see it? Oh, bummer. <laughs> Anyways, it's very beautiful. <laughs> I can see the quilt, but I can't see what you're doing. Oh, there we go. I jumped off to say. Uh, anyway, Only a so, year late. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. But I think it makes a great background. So I, I think I'm going to start using this. I'm working on one for Cliff today. I've got my, my quilty tools. Awesome. <laughs> well, I thought I'd bring up like this whole thing. Well, first of all, like that you know, we should probably, you know, in the future, we might do a whole thing about this machine learning. We found this machine or I found this machine learning podcast and they had this really interesting discussion and they talked about uh, a lot of the things we're talking about here. Um, oh, I, I lost my train of thought because there was something that we just were talking about that I wanted to bring up about, about that podcast. Um, and, and it went away. <laughs> 
about the digital, digital divide or the um, screen? Um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, do you see what I was saying about the infinity versus enclosures, you know, and the game board? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I would also just add, like, book-wise, my friend Julene had told me early on that I really should read Ender's Game. And mm -hmm. well, I guess there's a movie. I always say, like, read the book if you can. And essentially that frame was that there's sort of a group of, you know, it's Malthusian population control and like the good people are bred to be the warriors, to fight the aliens. And this young boy is sort of screened into this program and taken away from his family and raised in a pretty brutal, like, I don't know, I can't remember his off planet, but like isolated area where they have some schooling, but like a lot of their day is spent playing essentially like almost hand-to-hand -hand combat war games in like a hollow deck simulator kind of environment. And they have to figure out strategy. And I almost feel like I need to reread it, um, understanding more about game theory and strategy and poker and probability that this idea of war gaming goes back. Like th these games are definitely a direct extension out of like Cold War simulation technology. It, th that's its origins. and. You know, essentially at the end, like sort of the plot twist is that what they think is a simulation actually turns out to be real. And there's sort of consequences for that in, in the game itself, that it wasn't actually a game, but it was actually, even though the players understood it as a game that was separate from reality, that it wasn't. And, and so that's one of the things I had sort of tried to bring up in the conversation around digital child labor and gaming um, in Brazil and in the global south is that once you start having remote tech linked to your thoughts or your movements in one area and the outcome is manifesting in some other distant area, like you don't really know what the game is that you're playing. <laughs> you know, like you think you're playing one game, but it could be the through the interface as it's presented to you, but on the back end, it's something completely different. And um, and there's there's part of me that really yeah. feels like if I were some you know you know I won't you know evil genius like running this program like I would figure out how to build the metaverse in the games like as the people were playing the games that you were actually creating the env immersive environments for the metaverse because like anyway for, for from a logic standpoint it seems like if they're going to have all these people spending up to forty percent of their day in games. They're, they should be getting something out of it. Just like when there was that um, Duolingo app where you would learn a language, but on the back end, it was using the language learning that you were providing to the system to make really bad translations. <laughs> and so I, 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 there, I'm sure there must be some Duolingo component in there somewhere about the gaming. Like as you play, you're actually helping build it out or refine the metaverse. They, they wouldn't, I'm sure someone has, has thought of that because there's so much that has to be built out, so. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's, and it's hard for people to wrap their mind around this stuff. We've talked about this so much, but like, it, it's like you're talking about, it, it's, uh, it's like you're speaking a foreign language <laughs> when you're talking to people about this. You're like, what? Like, huh? Um, you know, but eventually, like, I think it will be like, oh, okay, the li light bulbs are gonna start going off at, at, at some point. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have any more? I'm kind of like my my. Um, I don't really bandwidth know. is my, my bandwidth <laughs> is, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't have anything else. Uh, I mean, I think uh, I always like to close with a, some sort of solution and that is, is any way that you can throw a, as Allison calls it, a wrench in the gears and, and, um, you know, put some roadblocks to their plans. And by, you know, if you pull your kids out of it, that certainly pulls out, um, you know, some of the, the access to them, you know, um, but it's hard to do when you're talking about participating in things like buying groceries or something like that. You know, if you don't comply with this, will you be denied that? Uh, but we can throw those, uh, wrenches out there when we can. Yeah. Have you found other parents, Lynn, that are you know, kind of starting to push back yeah, on this? Or? They are, and, and enrollment in public schools is starting to decline uh, because parents don't like a lot of this kind of um, push to, to put them in uh, on devices, track them, uh, but there's a risk that they're going to take the bait, which is school choice dollars to follow the child. And so Allison and I have done uh, some talks about that uh, so it's it's alerting parents. You don't want to that might be designed on purpose to to make you exit this system only to fold you into this system. And this system would cover all children if everyone takes those education dollars and whatever that looks like, whether it's in the form of uh, real dollars or cryptocurrency or um, you know blockchain wallets with all their education. <laughs> They're a learn card, yeah, it's, yeah. So um, not, and I just kind of I know we were trying to close, but. Uh, yes, parent, there are parents who are awake to this. They don't want their kids fed into the system. They are trying to detach from the technology. They're trying to get them off the, the devices and um, do a more organic, you know, education like what we had and things that are more human to human. Uh, we're really pushing to get bills uh, in Texas that get the kids off the devices and also get them to quit funding it because it's putting us into debt and we can't afford to live because our property taxes fund the schools and the schools are you know spending our property taxes on the devices the bandwidth the infrastructure technology uh, so that's a you know a huge hurdle but we're but along the way parents get educated and they say no, we don't want that. Or they, you know, are asking for informed consent on a lot of these things that were once not revealed to them. So yeah, I mean, um, it's like one heart at a time, one parent at a time, one family at a time, trying to reach them. Yeah, well, that's the challenge too. It's is, I really believe this. I I really think this that if people actually understood the implications of all this and where this is headed very few people would be supportive of it um but it's just getting them to actually right. understand that um because then they would say well the, the 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 risk versus reward that you know the cost benefit of analysis of of getting you know those those benefits or getting the things that they're going to get would would shift radically if they actually understood what the what the costs are and people don't really under i don't think they really understand what the costs are when they're offered um support um you know in the short term yeah 
Yeah, and then oftentimes the curse that is the cure, and so there are all these issues that the kids have, and then their solution is more digital and um, like even with the social emotional learning that's supposed to combat the mental health and behavioral issues, a lot of that is done through devices, so it's it's not a solution. So yeah, and I like Allison's read alouds. I think reading a physical book is a really, a really good, uh, good way to to detach from this. Well, it's amazing game. the sci you know how much science fiction ends up being prophetic. You know, we've had these conversations. It's like, wait a minute, like how? <laughs> well, they even like Neil Stevenson talks about. Oh yeah, we're we're really at the cutting edge. You know, like this the science fiction. You know, the way he frames it is like science science fiction writers like put out the ideas and then they can create it later. But I'm not, you know, it's the chicken and the egg sort of thing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so sure because some of it feels like there is some inside knowledge that's, that's not, um, you know, that's esoteric, that's not publicly known. But, you know, there's things going on behind the scenes. I mean, it just blows my mind between J.D. Bernal and um, Oliver Reiser and like some of these ideas that like are really, really old. Like, you know, they go back to 20s, 30s, 40s that are, you know, like where 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 is it? it's it's completely absent within the public consciousness yet these are massive things that are that are play a huge role in the the the, the development and steering of of society so <laughs> pretty wild allison yeah or you know like oh. some predictive programming oh go ahead no no it's fine <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's all very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what I like to do is look at the past stuff and then link it to what's unfolding and um, don't panic, right? But I mean, I think even just like asking the question, do, do we know where these technologies come from? Do we know what the ultimate goal is? Do we know about like, even just educating people like, oh, you know, you we have the original documents, right? Now we have, I found the outside in robot you know, and computer document, right? Oh, it was written in 2010, the social computer. They lay it out. They say exactly what the plan is, is to use people in their environments as a high level computational processor. And then we should say like, well, do we wanna do that? I mean, there might be some circumstances in which we willingly participate as that um, because we know what it is and we've been asked in, a, in an open and, and um, an open manner, right? From that we we might agree to participate in some sort of crowdsourcing solution solving thing, but not through the back door, not not when they're literally admitting that most people don't have they're they're simply acting on local stimuli and, and they don't have any idea where it's being driven. Like that isn't isn't okay. Yeah. Especially for children. Well, even in some in terms of some of the use cases of these things, it does make sense. It's like, wow, yeah, that actually is not a bad way to organize to solve this particular problem within this framework. But the problem is it's tied to these. It's it's not just that. It's connected to financial markets and it's connected to uh, these ideas of a super organism and a cybernetic governance. And, you know, like there's it's connected to all this other stuff that don't get talked about when they're talking about, right. oh, we're going to solve this problem, you know, and then this is going to way this is a way for us to organize to solve this problem. Because, I mean, clearly, like the systems that we've had and that we have are seriously problematic in terms of 
you know, our, our market systems, our governance systems, I mean, you know, they're, they're all broken, <laughs> you know, so people are like, okay, Love yes, how do we purpose. fix these? And yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But we're not educated enough to understand the new models, right? I mean, and so that they will, they will just showed up as a fait accompli, like, oh, did we not tell you now democracy is piles of tokens and we have radical participation for your AI twins? You know, people aren't brought along and they're not able to say like, wait a minute, why, why I have to have a digital twin? I have to have an identification number. Like I'm going to be rated on, I mean, th this is one of the things Jeffrey Yass was uh, of Susquehanna International Group who, you know, was so focused on gambling um, and the futures trading. Um, you know, he wanted to essentially under the guise that the market, there's some ultimate truth in how markets operate, which you know, it's terribly flawed because we know there really aren't free markets, so to speak, especially not under tokenomics, it's not going to be any kind of free market, that there, there will be some emergent truth that comes out of any public policy decision that we should, instead of voting, just hand over public policy to this futarchy model that Buterin's talked about, like this, where you, you, um, you do this liquid democracy thing and you, you place bets on, okay, here's an outcome that we want. And then here's a variety of options that we think will get us there. And then you place your vote, which is actually a bet. And then if you, if your bet is the winning bet and it, it accomplishes what it is, you got financial payback. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that we can't talk about those as ideas, but they're being taken forward without most people having any understanding. They're just still stuck back in the old timey days. You know, I'm like, we, we you don't know about futarchy. You don't know about like, uh, you know, proxy voting and liquid voting and quadratic voting and, and attaching financial markets. Like that's, you know, I need to get into that next, but like the whole, the, the reason for Texas <laughs> and Florida being these refuges for conservative, like our libertarian ideals and blockchain, it's that like, you guys are going to birth, you know, the, you know, the embryo of the super organism, you know, maybe it's going to come right out of that big ball. <laughs> That, ball. that ball is the womb maybe so <laughs> it's just one big womb <laughs> yeah well you know there's a lot of that in the bible too about the earth and the the growing pain or the birthing pains so well there's always so. there's always womb to grow so <laughs> anyway um yeah, and okay. Lynn, there, there was an interesting thing too, just in terms of like even like betting on legislation and and whether or not it's successful or not. Like it, it gets into like some ridiculous areas. The idea of like just turning like literally everything into a market, a market and a betting and gambling. So the, yeah, Allison just keeps you know I'm always trying to catch up, and then Allison's like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I'm like, hold on, I'm over here. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean so for those of you listening if any of this is overwhelming like i'm you know i'm going through my own process of learning uh, learning about this but i will say that it's worth the it's worth your investment of time and energy because this is literally your this is the future this is your children's future this is the you know the children this is this is this is what's this there's a there's a there's something happening <laughs> that, uh, that that that's something huge huge that you just that that very few people actually understand and i'm trying to learn about it and i'm, I'm grateful uh to work with you two and, and others uh in, in this in this process 
Um, you, Allison, you want to just real quick say what you're working on now, what you have coming out? Because I know you've got some, you've got a big article that you're working on. I mean, you have, (laughs) you've got a bunch of, well, you don't have to go into too much detail, but just to get a, give a little, you know, to get people like, oh, wait, I can't wait for that. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, essentially, uh, like Silicon Icarus came, come out with an article that was talking about the intersection of, uh, game fi and gambling and offshore banking with crypto which for me sort of opened the door to like a closet to a lot of other stuff that i've been mulling over to rummage through that involved sort of a cold war game theory because uh john von neumann who was sort of like the father of game theory like his central uh, uh focal point in game theory was poker because of the asymmetrical information and so it's sort of looking at this Cold War game theory, Hugh Everett's multiverse, and then extending out into um, like looking at some of the aspects that were featured in that particular article. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was something, what Western capital capitals last bluff, the big, big bluff, big bluff. Uh, yeah, it's the latest Silicon. So build looking at those various pieces and then um, seeing how it fit in with things that I was looking at. And then inadvertently, I stumbled in through this route of like uh, p- online poker scandals and ultimate bets. And this woman, um, Annie Duke, and the lawyer for ultimate bets that happened to be the uh, chief uh, protocol officer of FTX. And like it, it went from like poker back through FTX to uh essentially Jane Street and Jane Street burst out of the Susquehanna International Group. And the Yass, Jeffrey Yass, he and um, five friends at SUNY Binghamton back in the 70s became avid gamblers, had a very mathematically sophisticated approach to all sorts of gambling probability problems, and then morphed into options traders in the 80s. And it's actually based outside of Philadelphia. And it's sort of this, although in the past couple of years, they've gotten a lot more exposure, but a relatively low key, but very, very influential group when it comes to futures trading and market liquidity. And now they're getting into all of these things with um, they're the, they're one of the one of their largest holdings is in ByteDance, which is TikTok. So th- so then th- then there's a whole nother piece about like, what is that TikTok platform actually? And during the lockdowns, they actually were trying to spin out an education model. So like, I mean, like what, what can you learn on TikTok in like two minutes, right? Like, but what is that doing? Like, what is that behind? And for me, it feels a lot like global brain teaming and tagging people for a coming future where you're this agent in the game. Um, and if you understand that all within the context of poker strategy and Cold War tra- strategy and military simulation, it starts to get interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to that coming out. And I've, you know, I've actually been following some of the, the work <laughs> back and forth with you. But yeah, it's it's keeps it just the thing keeps getting bigger and bigger. But yeah, throwing the game. I think you know we were talking about this. The 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 gaming and the gambling p- part of this, this is another big piece of it. And I was talking to Allison the other day. I was like, well, if you think about it, that's what Wall Street is. You know, it's yeah. it's it's a big casino. You know, so it's already like that gambling element has already been with us for a long time. We don't think of it. They, they talk about it like markets, markets, but it's it's not markets in in the in the, in the traditional well, it's sense. Arbitrage was their specialty, and that's the same specialty as Enron, Lynn. So, like in the documentary mm-hmm. about Enron, like the smartest guys in the room, you know, there's this episode where it's their energy futures trading and they're they're literally through this loophole in california energy policy they would 
direct the energy out of the state to get better prices. Like they would, like the, the, the state needed power, but they could get a better price by sending it into Las Vegas or sending it across the border. And then when the demand ramped up, bring it back in. And so they were literally just moving the, sh the tokens on the game board to maximize their profit. It was like they had yeah. their own money printing machine. And multiple times that that was happening, people in California were experiencing rolling blackouts because of the power. But it was literally because they had the levers to redirect the whole situation. And it was based on arbitrage. And, and so as horrible as that is, like imagine that with your children, right? Like imagine that with people with mental, uh, you know, mental health challenges. like. It, it gets kind of dark pretty fast. And, and the thing is, there, there's, no, there's no checks and balances and very few people understand, like we're not educated about financial markets. I mean, you might get some education in personal finance, but unless you're working in those markets, all you're gonna get is sort of yeah. whatever you're getting out of the New York Times or Washington Post. You're not gonna actually get the in-depth aspects or looking at the impact finance that we're talking about and how it fits to cybernetics, so. Well, and the mathematics behind it is like when you start to actually dig into it and try to figure it out, it's next to impossible to figure out because they have these really smart mathematics people that make all these complex equations that, that just totally leave you like bewildered and confused. And I think intentionally yeah. because you can't, you can't make sense. You can't make sense of it, but they, you know, they even, but they have like their, their insider people that are figuring out how to game in it. But it's, yeah, like I've tried to like dig into like understand it, but like it's, it's, you know, even just looking into like the, the derivatives market or whatever, and all these really complex equations that they've, they've created, there's no way anybody could actually like, you know, any normal well, it's person. It's interesting could... when I, when I was looking at the, I finally went back to look at the FTX stuff. I initially, I wasn't that interested because I, it just seemed like such a spectacle. Like it, it, it yeah. wasn't about what they said it was about, right? The people that were centered weren't the main people, but there were some interesting stories when I, when I went back to actually look. And it, you know, it turns out all these all these people knew each other from math camp. They were all like total math camp geeks, and they like there would be the circuit, like the national circuit of like high level like math prodigies, and they would all be you know, from like middle school on probably at summer camp and math camp and mathathons and competitions with each other. So it's a very small world. Like when you get right down to it, then they all went to <laughs> MIT. But like, they, they like, I mean, yeah, I guess revenge of the geeks. I don't know. I guess. Don't think I would have fit in at math camp. I don't know. <laughs> revenge. Yeah, there's an 80s movie, revenge, revenge of the Nerds. We used pocket knives to carve soap and I sliced my finger open. That was my camp. <laughs> Oh, shoot. <laughs> we played with knives. <laughs> yeah, give a, uh, give a kid a knife. What's the... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like... Well, fun. I mean, and the other piece of some of... The, there's a whole section about effective altruism. Jason, you sent me a New Yorker feature on uh, this guy, uh, Will M McCaskill, who is the... I mean, it almost sounds sort of like a cult. And, and when you look at effective altruism, essentially all of the what works social impact finance feeds exactly into that because the people who were under this umbrella of tie, a secular tithe, that's what they said. Like these were primarily secular humanists, secular humanists. And um, so they would give 10%, but it was to an effective charity, like an evidence-based and they would comp out compete each other. Like, 
I think my anti-malarial program has better stats than your deworming program. And like, that would be like how you would like get dates or one up other people. Like, like you would go and you would try to show the flaws in their argument about their stats around their charity. And, and it goes all the way back to Bentham, like Jeremy Bentham and, and the utilitarianism. Um, so yeah, there's some weird, weird stuff, but you can see, like, I mean, I know we, we need to get around to talking some more about the faith-based communities and how they fit into the managed charity stuff eventually. And the brain, the world brain. Yeah. On that one, I mean, you should get, you know, Lynn and Drew and yeah, I mean, you, you and Lynn and Drew should all have a conversation around the faith, the faith-based, you know, pulling that into, that would be interesting. Yeah. Peter Drucker. We need to go talk about Peter Drucker. Management theory of megachurches. But yeah. Okay. Well, I was, you know, I like the, uh, you know, Lynn, you sent me the the carbon queen. (laughs) I got your text. That was funny. But Lynn and I are always trying to think of of, of songs to, you know, to, to, you know, like tunes to. to, 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 Carbon queen. you know about i'm not going to put this in but about the billy ocean or is it billy ocean was that who did that song yeah oh yeah yeah. (laughs) whatever happened to him yeah um well i drive a caribbean your book says carbon queen so i made a billy ocean joke about an 80s song uh i love it well yeah uh we, we, Alan, uh, lynn we need we need to do uh, a, a sing-along hour <laughs> yeah that'd be good come up, come up with little tunes about about uh, about all this so well thank you guys for for joining me and thank you lynn for for putting together this this article and it's definitely a good springboard to talk about a lot of different issues so uh until next time All right, let's get set up here. Hey, guys, this is, is it live or is it Memorex? <laughs> uh, we are live and uh-oh, we don't have Allison. Hold on one second, Allison. Let me uh, get your audio. So Lynn's not with us just yet. She's having some internet issues. Um, oh, poor Lynn. Oh, there you go. Oh, I, I unmuted myself. I forgot. Okay. I <laughs> Perfect. I look a little green. I don't know. I guess it's oh, just Oh, hold light. on. Let me adjust it. No, I, uh, well, I, I was trying to get the, the color because uh your color like this is how your color comes across oh okay well that's crazy. weird i was trying to yeah, correct that, it i was good. trying to the camera good. does some weird stuff with the color like it, i was trying to get, balance it a little bit but it's it's kind of eyeballing it how's that you're just looking so fancy with your quilt and everything well, and i, I just look like more i mean pea soup or something. i know <laughs> <laughs> i know that's the only drawback of like dialing my stuff in it's like i make everybody else look bad sorry <laughs> Not intentional. We need, You're we all crisp and perky. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyways, we could uh, I could bring your saturation down. I can make you black and white. Yeah, that's a, oh no, you can like take. <laughs> I, I didn't pay my subscription, so you've taken away yeah, my yeah. color. You don't. You don't have the color token. I'm sorry. We're, you're, yeah. you're, you're out for today. Uh, so hey everyone, thanks for thanks for chiming in and listening to us. And oh wait, I see Lynn. Let's uh, let's see if we can make this happen. Let me put her microphone on and let's. Uh, hey Lynn. Oh look at you. Hey Lynn. <laughs> oh she's frozen. Uh, 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 she says she's got ice storms out there. So uh, oh. 
Oh, my sound's on a little on the low side. Thank you for telling me that. I've got a little monitor that, sh but it doesn't really tell me. <laughs> I, I, I'm always effect? either too loud or too low. I need a better. The the there's a little thing that shows you, but it doesn't really, without being able to hear it. Hold on, let me bring it up a little bit. How's the audio level now, you guys? Does that sound good? Um. I think it looks good. All right. So let's see. Uh, Poor well, Lynn. We, She's we've frozen. Got a, we've got a frozen Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, I do have some a few questions. And if you have more questions or relevant comments, uh, feel free to uh, add them to the queue. And, uh, you know, I'm going to just bring us up until Lynn gets unfrozen because it's okay. just kind of weird looking at frozen Lynn there. <laughs> no, she, she looks so earnest. <laughs> Oh wait, no, I there she is. Oh. You can't hear me. Oh. We can hear you. Oh, we can hear you. You had a very oh. nice smile. You were just very frozen. Yeah, you were stuck in time. Stuck in the metaverse. <laughs> you were uh, in the other okay. simulation. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And uh, I'm just checking out the the comments here. Um <clears throat> yeah, so um how are you guys doing? Uh yeah, I was going to bring up something I watched good. Yeah, I thought that was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw we did. We, we Allison, we we lost somebody on the on the on the comment. Oh. <laughs> we, should, we, we, you know, I think what we should do with that is we should like maybe just set up a, a set of guidelines so people have kind of a, 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 a an understanding of like you know we're trying to have a focused conversation here, so we can talk about that. But um, you know, I was watching this morning a, a, a talk with Peter Thiel at at Oxford, and he was talking about the. Um, well, he said, you know, what's the, uh, what do you call it? Um, the antonym for, uh, diversity, which is university. And, and so he was giving this talk basically ragging on, uh, and I actually agreed with a lot of the criticisms about the problems yeah. with the university system. You know, it's, it's a problem. It's a very problematic system. Yeah, <laughs> this was at the, uh, yeah, I know. And so I was like, oh, what's going on here? Like, you know, like, you know, he gets invited. I'm like, well, it's his money. Uh, oh, Lynn's frozen again. We'll bring you, we'll bring you back, Lynn, as soon as I, I see you moving, moving around. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, you know what I can do? Hold on, Lynn. I'm going to lower the. The, the resolution, maybe that'll help you a little bit. Um, anyway, so yeah, but he was, but he was basically talking, you know, cr criticizing the university system, but then he was promoting diversity, which, which is the antonym, you know, uh, university. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about that in the conversation here about um, just this, the, the, the discussion about diversity that we've had um, and and that they want to kind of get away get a, move away from like the university system. The system obviously needs to change, but um, oh, here's well, they uh, want lifelong learners. I mean, that's that's what what they what they're aiming for is that you you never you're never done. Right. <laughs> oh wait, wait. I hear I hear Allison or Allison Lynn. I know who you are. Oh wait, no, oh, there we go. There we go. Okay, Lynn, how you doing? <laughs> Can you hear us? Okay. Oh, she, 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 well, she shook her head. Yes. Yeah, so I can it's, hear you. I just, oh. I was trying to do both the live one and then anyway, oh, yeah, yeah, I can just, hear you. Can you hear me? Yep, Am I yep. still frozen? No, you're, you're open. Yeah. Just shut the live one down and then, and then you'll reserve your bandwidth for, yeah, for okay, this. Got it. Um, yeah. Just close that out altogether. 
<clears throat> hold on. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, where was I going about that? Oh, anyways, it was just I just thought that was interesting. That Peter Thiel, like, well, I mean, the plan was always to deconstruct education fully. I mean, that it's been that since lockdowns. I mean, that's that's what Lynn and I have been doing for all these years. Like, but the thing is, the 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 opportunities that they're going to open up are really going to be quote unquote personalized with your AI learning you. For, for for both gig work and then for whatever this like global computation haul on based system thing is like whatever that looks like. And um, so, yeah, so that, I mean, that's what Palantir is about. I mean, Palantir is facilitating the impact finance space, right? Both in mental health and, and in education. I mean, they're going to, they're going to be the all seeing eye, right. Of, of it's like, you know, the God's eye view of the poker game. That's what Palantir is. So, I mean, we often talk about this, but it's so frustrating to see, you know, what comes out of these places, and it's it's such an incomplete picture. Like they're not being honest, or they're they're being highly selective about the parts of the story they're willing to tell people. And um, anyway, you know yeah. that. <laughs> um, well, why don't I just take some of the some of the questions that came up during the the thing? Someone asked about Hilton Rice and CRISPR. At the beginning, I think that was Roma, um, and well, as far as I know, like CRISPR came l much later uh, than Hilton Rice, but I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Like, is that you. Conrad Hilton Rice, or is that from the Riser book? Yeah, about, from the Riser is, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, I mean, well, the thing is, like, I think that that their intention is to move to an, a level of like psychical, like a new level of psychic connection, right? Like. They, I mean, they, they talk about that. So, you know, now there's like technologies that might go with it, like some sort of neural prosthetics or something like that to facilitate. Um, I mean, in some ways we're all sitting here, quote unquote, <laughs> in our little boxes, um, you know, and we're kind of having a collective mind, right? Like we're, we're all working together to sort of talk about things and, and we're not exactly solving a problem, but we're addressing an issue that we care about. So, like there is almost a psychical level with the stuff we're already doing that's that's beyond what Rice was talking about in the 30s. Um, you know, and eventually they just want to be able to do it so that we don't have a laptop or a iPad or whatever. And they're just like thinking it. Right. Um, but I don't know. Like, I don't know that you actually need to edit your genes to do that. I, I don't think it's like a, necessarily a gene editing. I think it's something else. Mm -hmm. like a frequency transmission. There's a comment about the VR headgears blinding the pineal gland. And I was thinking yeah. when Allison, you and I were talking today and I mentioned that really scary face, it looked like a face mask, but it was um, the sensor for the face. And I was thinking about that because it had the, the plus signs on the eyes and thinking about the pineal gland. I don't know if it's uh, something that could tap into that or connect with that, but it is something to consider. And um, there are theories that the pineal gland is tied to the faith centers, and that's a what do they call it? The God um, center of the brain. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that no, I have. I'm going to put it on the screen here because it's so freaky. But it's um, well, can you see that? Yeah. But the plus yeah. sign. See that like those little crosses yeah. in the eyes, huh? but all this is like, um, emotion sensors and, um, 
emotional state and focus. So it's all the things that, that you've seen like in, um, I, I think it's kids in China where they'll say like, oh yeah, they've got these sensors on their heads and it tracks engagement. And there are software programs. They have those in North Dallas. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Who are we kidding here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why I always say it's like it's not China that we're worried about. It. It's your local jackass that's you know, putting a robot in your classroom because for kids for special needs kids and they have thirty five kids in a class and Milo the robot is gonna make you feel a little bit more like you're taken care of. I don't know. Weird. No, I mean I it's, yeah, I, I so so the thing is uh <clears throat> Yeah, definitely the pineal gland, like access to like more of a, you know, a God consciousness, mystic, like spiritual space. And it's like tiny. And and it's interesting because it it impacts, um, it's impacted by blue light. So the screens, the, the screen stuff and also the VR headsets, it it like hardens your pineal gland. So I don't know if you say calcifies is another word. Calcifies yeah. Calcifies it. Well, in Texas, and say, it, we say pineal, but yeah. Oh, pineal. Uh, pineal, <laughs> pineal. I only ever read it. I haven't, I don't know the proper pronunciation, but the, in the calcification, yeah. they even talk about piezoelectric, which is interesting. Like there's a piezoelectric aspect, uh -huh. but there was a, a, a report that I encountered and I think it was a 2012 report called Awakening the Consciousness of a Child. And it was by the Lucifer Trust. No, the Lucius Trust. Well, sometimes they go by Lucifer okay. Trust. The Lucius Trust and the World Goodwill Project. And they're with the United Nations. And it was by mm -hmm. this woman, Adele Diamond. And she was out of the University of British Columbia. But she had come like before. She had been at Penn for a while. And she was a child development, like cognitive neuroscience person looking at executive function in children. So if you read this report, it all sounded lovely. Like we care about feelings and we care about girls and we care about all these things. But like when sure. you know the bigger picture, you're like, oh, I don't really think about, you know, you, then you see where Adele Diamond came from and what Lucia's trust is up to. And then you're like, I don't think so, so much. And then you realize that a lot of the future of education um, that's being promoted as digital education, which is linked directly to the sustainable development goals is device-based. So it's, it's about um, phones. Like they don't even get a full laptop in Africa, right? Like you're doing your education on a phone, but then like I, a lot of this is being promoted through UNICEF and UNICEF's innovation fund, which is AI and blockchain and drones and mm -hmm. AI is actually based out of Singularity University, which is in the Silicon Valley. So, so you wouldn't think UNICEF, like, I don't know where UNICEF is. Oh, it's at Singularity University, or at least their innovation fund is, and their major funder is Disney. And so I was looking at the, these early case studies for VR education, like not how to create VR, but delivering your education through a VR headset. And one of the programs, they were in Africa and India, and one of the ones in Africa essentially said, like, and this was from the UNICEF website, well, those kids, there's never going to be money to teach, to build schools for those kids or give those kids human teachers. Like there's never going to be money for that. So we're just going to put them in a VR headset. And then one of them actually said it was almost like they didn't want children to read, but that they could dance like they could. It was like a like a motion sensor type interface that they wouldn't even have to know how to read. 
that and and so it was almost like a post literacy like somehow you would i don't know like dance you know or hand wave your version into coding it was like a coding kind of thing like you could code but like without actually having a written language and and so they're just cutting to the chase and then all of that data is going to feed the impact markets but um you know, while we're busy fighting the culture war stuff, like this is the stuff we're not talking about. Like we're not talking about any of mm -hmm. that, but our kids aren't going to be out of it because, you know, our friend Emily, you know, I keep talking about that. You know, she was the one that had the kids falling asleep because of the fort staying up all night, second graders in Fortnite. And, you know, her, you know, in her school, someone that she was teaching with brought a UNICEF program in where the kids were supposed to have wearables and extra, like do enough steps for the day to get food packets for starving kids in Africa. So like, you're gonna get pulled in, even if you think you're like the superior one, like your kids are like the, the kids with, you know, they're gonna get pulled into the system one way or the other. So um, anyway, so I think that the VR headsets are one to get data, to get um, eye tracking, to get, like the cognitive stuff to harden the pineal gland, pineal gland, um, calcify that and um, yeah, and do it for the impact markets. Yeah, I think the VR thing though is still a bit off. It seems to me just the, what I've been following with the, the actual headsets, it seems like they're really having a hard time getting to where that would actually be a functional thing in any, in any long-term type setting. Uh, you know, so that's good news, <laughs> but at least in the short term, you know, it's going to be the, the phones and the, and, and well, it'll be you know. mixed reality. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think the impact on the eyes, I mean, it is that whether or not it's like whatever the device is. Right. And then I would say like, there's other stuff, um, like the magic leap. I know that they kind of went under down under, but there, there are other things that are more portable that aren't fully like heavy masky things that are more like glasses. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so another question. Uh, Riser talks about wanting to get rid of classical culture. Uh, what rec what what would you recommend studying to understand what is happening? Impact finance is one. So, uh, study recommendations. In terms of culture, or like. Do you, if you want to clarify that, if you're still on uh, Roma, um, no. I mean, I think that there is like the plan to have a, um, like, I mean, there's definitely a push towards a global society. Um, I would say sort of in the, the fear frenzy group of people, like one world religion, new world order, everything, like there's this idea maybe that we're all supposed to be homogenous. And if I'm correct in my analysis that this is actually about complex complexity theory and building this global superorganism type of thing, um, they don't actually really want everything to be homogenous. They want to control it, but they want to have a controlled cultural system. So it's almost, well, the thing I've been talking about lately is um, I've sort of maybe moved on from my Pinocchio metaphor. Not that I'm ready to put that to bed totally, but this idea, um, I saw recently uh, the movie Tar, because I had been talking with Cliff um, and sort of imagining that maybe what this thing was was more like a conductor and that we were like conducting a symphony so that there's like the natural creative force of the universe, God, that's, 
you know, unfolding the universe in sort of a some sort of symphony of gratitude. And that that is has been ongoing for millennia. And there's a guest conductor that tends to be a little bit more like a machine that wants to step onto the podium and try us out and play a different kind of symphony. And so this idea of modules um, of us having a certain identity as modules in a global supercomputer, like they don't want all the same module. It's like a toolkit or I, I don't know, like I'm not that mechanical, but I would assume like maybe you're working on a car and you have sets of wrenches for different sizes or different needs, right? You don't want to just have one size, like you have 20 wrenches that are all the same. You want them graduated and you want to be able to use them. So like, I think in terms of culture, where this is going is that they want it contained they want it labeled and identified, um, and then they want it to be available whenever that, you know, it's time to call on that part of the orchestra, that pick up that module for the piece. So they want to, they want to manage culture, but I don't think they actually want to erase culture um, because they also need it in some ways for the polarization, right? Like some of the stuff I was looking at today about um, embodied computation and this artificial embryogenesis stuff, you know, that they're trying, our morphogenic embryogenesis, like they need there to be things held in tension to drive it forward. And if we were all the same, it would just be flat. Yeah, well, that makes me think of another thing that the, uh, Peter Thiel was saying in his discussion about the university versus di the diversity that they want. Um, was he, you know, he spent he his like analysis was like the biggest threat to facing humanity is government and particularly a one world government, you know, and that's the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I've heard yeah. I've heard this in many different spaces. But as I you know, the more I study it, I just realize it's just, you know, like, when I was in high school, I started to like, start to think politically. I was listening to like kind of learn libertarian radio, but it was all about the UN. The UN's coming. The big, the one world government. The, the UN plays a, a significant role, for sure. Um, you know the, the development goals and all of that, but also seeing how the the actual. I was always looking at where the actual power is, and the U the UN doesn't actually have a ton of like. Its power it, it exists in a very specific It's a place. framework. Yeah. Can you hear me? It, but you yes, me? we can hear you. Yeah. I brought yeah. you back because you're so, moving. Sorry. Yeah. It's a framework. Um, just like Castle is a framework for the social, most, social emotional learning that everyone kind of follows. The UN Sustainable Development Goals, it's just another framework that people get, that um, agencies get behind and follow. And, and, um, so it's just one of many frameworks that will uh, that that um, will direct this yeah. whole movement. Yeah, and I wouldn't even I wouldn't even use the direct. It's not directing it. It's it's laying out a set of guidelines for a very specific use case for you know like the UN Sustainable Development Goals. But there are all these other financial uh, institutions, you know. The Bank of International Settlements, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, and and there are these other like supranational structures that have been placed for a long time that in a way kind of act kind of as a world government. So if anybody that followed the whole NAFTA and then the GATT, these uh, these uh, t trade agreements, um, you know, one of the big things that people were like realizing was that they're actually they supersede national law. Uh, and so you, you're entering, you know, the United States enters into this agreement that um, that's it's a it's an economic agreement amongst nations 
around protecting um, property and things like that. And so like that was that was the piece that was missing from all the people that are just like looking at the UN. And so like with Peter Thiel's discussion about, you know, we need more diversity and that, you know, he means that he like he wants to have this this thing and it's, it's it, you know, he's going to point the finger at the world government, you know, and so like he'll point the finger even at the World Economic Forum or, you know, the UN or whatever. But the, the structures that are being put into place are are not necessarily that, even though like they're kind of the most prominent ones that you hear about in a lot of spaces. I don't know if that makes sense. Can I just add add one thing for Roma, just because I, I think I understand a little bit better. What, so Roma, I know like previously that you had been sort of looking at the knot theory stuff and Steffers, and I think that that's interesting and important. There are things that I just have a really hard time wrapping my mind around, like the high level math. I like the only time I cried in high school was like over algebra two. Like I just have memories of like lying on the front upstairs hall carpet and just like crying into like my math book. So it's not like my, I, I know enough to, to be able to have broad strokes, but I do think that there are aspects of that that are useful. So I, I would encourage if that's something that you, you know, vibe with like go with that and bring it to us if you can interpret it in some way that would be awesome and um in the research that i've been doing lately on the gambling and the finance uh something i've been working on a lot over the past few days is actually revisiting the cambridge analytica and renaissance technologies and robert mercer and the the founder of renaissance technologies uh which is this major hedge fund that was backing cambridge analytica and i think the story that is actually relevant is very different than what the story that came out. Um, his mentor's name is Jim Simmons. Uh, he was a professor at Stony Brook. He was a cryptographer, uh, a very high level mathematician and was working in something like, I don't know, cohomology. <laughs> I don't even with a C. Um, and I, I was looking at it the other day and I'm like, I just don't, I can't get it. And so I just moved on. But if that's interesting to you, I would say like, check out James Simmons because he actually, he and his wife have a, a foundation and I had never heard of them, but evidently they are one of the top private funders of basic science research in the country. They have something called the Flatiron Institute and um, there may be some weird esoteric stuff going on as well. So um, yeah, if I would say, you know, Every to each his own that has like your skill set. Uh, high level math is not mine. High high level physics isn't mine either. If you give me a good story like whoever, I can latch into it. But if it's just equations, I can't. But those who can, like yeah, bring it. Because if you can explain it to me, I do feel like there's something in there. I just don't. I can't figure it out. Yeah. Well, one issue I always had too with a lot of this, even with Riser's book, is there's a lot of theor there's a lot of theoretical things in there that I don't know for sure are the possible or whatever maybe it's just a vision that they have and like You're just a skeptic, i am a skeptic yeah <laughs> but i mean just because it, you know whether or not it, they can do what they want to do it's one it's too difficult like world <laughs> sensorium is easy this yeah, one yeah. is really hard oh it's great. like all physics. oh maybe i'll take a crack at it allison <laughs> <laughs> i bet i can yeah totally, after <laughs> i got it i'll let you know <laughs> okay yeah, and I'm trying to bring it down too because it's like 
I had this these discussions about economics with people all the time and you know people that are really deep into the economic theory and all the different models and mathematics and I, and I was like listen you know I know enough about the system know that I'm not for it <laughs> you know I don't need to know all the details about it I know I know enough about it to know that it's not something you know that I that I think you know cuz I I think things can be intentionally complicated um you know but but then again, who knows? Maybe I just I don't get a lot of stuff. But like I have, I find how to untangle the knot. You know, like yeah. it's like how do we get on the other side of the knot? You know, then yeah. <laughs> my, my thing is like if you you're if you're in a vehicle, I was I'm always trying to come up with a good analogy. But like the one I always came up with is like we're in this vehicle and it's headed toward a cliff, and somebody wants to talk about the engine, and I'm like I don't care how the engine works. I want to jump out the vehicle. <laughs> there's probably a, I'm sure there's a better analogy for that. Uh, you know, but. Uh, yeah, but there's I mean, probably people who say that about me, like the stuff I do. Like, why are we talking about poker, Allison, and like video right. games? You know, this is important stuff oh. over here about biotechnology. Like, they're like, we. Don't. And so I kind of feel like if, like, if we can step back from it enough that we don't have to be panicked every minute, and and look at it like, like I mean, they're looking at everything like a game. Like, I'm not not saying like a competitive game, but like as an ex a, a exploration that you can be interested in, then all of those of us who have all these different talents, like we have different things to offer. And so I look at things from a particular worldview because of my life experience that, and, and but other people have their other pieces. So I don't know, like, I just feel like the, the intuition part, like if we get back in touch with that, like, and then there's a whole lot of different ways to go about it. I mean, I, the first couple years, I was really cranky because I thought I was panicked and I was like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're not doing the thing that they have to do and they're missing the thing or whatever. And now I'm like, eh. you know, like I'm Can, just on I my journey to the. Yeah, I want to speak to the intuition thing, because I, I was thinking about. Yeah, OK, so the album cover that I sent you today, you guys um, on it was a Leonard Skinner album cover and it was from this like 1974 and it had a little marijuana leaf on it but it also looked like a an oh. unfolded one-dimensional buckyball and it had all these hexagons on it um but then i um why i was thinking about this is just the the push there's all this talk around marijuana and i don't care where you stand on that i mean it's the point is that it's it's a form of escapism and I'm wondering if this, um, if it has something to do with the pineal gland, does it clog it? Does it? Because I know alcohol and controlled substances can uh, contribute to the calcification of the pineal gland and wondering if marijuana does that. And that's why there's such a push to, um, to make it mainstream for, it's so commonplace. I mean, I smell it everywhere because it smells stronger than it used to. It has more of a skunk smell than it did in the 80s. Um, the it more grassy smell. Huh? <laughs> it has more nano in it now. <laughs> I don't know what it has in it, but it smells terrible. It, it, did, it wasn't as offensive back then. Um, and full disclosure, I tried it and it didn't work. So I never went back to it. <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't work for me, but um, it, uh, so I, you know, I never well, saw the what? point it's of the it. impact market, Lynn. Did you not know it it's be. a new public good? No, it is. Like, so this is week I saw a protocol labs talk 
from our favorite, like it wasn't Juan Benet, it was somebody on their channel. But um, at, at some point, maybe you, somebody can find the link. So it's a protocol labs talk and it is about social impact finance deals mm -hmm. for public goods for medical DAOs, DAOs. And it's for, it's for repurposed drugs. So ivermectin, you know, like all these things that Steve Kirsch is pushing. And, and, and then they, the and then they, then they have things like, oh, vitamin C and all these things that you can't get the, the regular pharmaceutical companies to do. You'll now fund them, the medical trials with a DAO and, and it will be all on blockchain and um, they like around the middle of the talk, which is, it's only about a 20 minute talk. They're like, oh, and by the way, cannabis and psilocybin and ketamine totally available for social impact deals. Um, yeah, wow. for uh, retroactive public goods funding. That's that's what they were pitching. Yeah, impact finance, DAOs, retroactive public good fundings and that. So, but the thing is like, why are they doing it besides the money is like one, I think somebody mentioned the engineered aspects, like they're putting stuff in it too, um, like that's not natural. Yeah. And also it's the not way the it's same. grown, it's not natural anymore, but um, mm -hmm they want the altered states of consciousness. Now, I mean, cannabis is different than like psilocybin, like the, the psychedelics. They really want the psychedelics because I think they wanna ride your consciousness into wherever you're going so they can kind of keep an eye on you hmm. um, and figure out what you're up to over there. Um, but, but that's the stealing fire. I keep saying like you guys, if like, it's not a hard read. I'm such a bad student. So slow. And, and it tells <laughs> I, have so many I books. can send you the audio book if you want. Uh, I tried and I couldn't figure out how to download it. Oh, no, it. you couldn't. So, no. And well, he, I just thought. No, it, I've got it. I gotta, get, I gotta get my help desk <laughs> husband or kids to help me. I, I can help you too if you want to give me a call. <laughs> So like a FaceTime, right? okay. Yeah, so yeah, out here in Colorado, it's funny. You can't you can't walk down the street without smelling weed anymore. <laughs> you go well, downtown, I mean, it's you know, everywhere. Is, I don't like the debate and all. It's it's more like why the the extreme push now and uh, you know in recent years, and that tells that you know that usually is significant when you see something so it goes so mainstream like that. But I do believe it has been a long time coming, uh, especially like within the music. And looking at some of those other album covers, they have all this symbolism on them, like Pink Floyd. And looking back now, you go, okay, some of this just uh, like a predictive programming, is it, you know, like, or like an imprinting of sorts. I don't uh, know. It, with art, it's hard too because a lot of people can read a lot of different things and based on their kind of where they're coming from. But I, I, I just got to bring up a funny little factoid about Leonard Skinner. Do you know where they get the name of the band? You know where the name of the band came from? Oh, uh, no. Uh, remember. You remember that song, Hello Mutta, Hello Fada, Here I Am at yeah. Camp Granada? Yeah, no, no, no. There's, a, there's a line in there. You remember Leonard Skinner? That's it's it's from that song. He got you know I get coming. called that a lot. When you have a short name, they give you an extended oh. version of your name, <laughs> Leonard Skinner. I get called I get called that all the time. Yeah, I guess it me, I, I, they, it was like a was. thing they used to to like oh when you're screwing up or you know when you're oh like oh here comes Leonard Skinner. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess it means like you're a screw up or something. I don't know. You're doing, <laughs> doing something you're not supposed to or something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, kind right. of a funny thing. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, with it's yeah, it's 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 hard to tell which what point is is like intentional or 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 if, because a lot of these things just become part of the culture. You know, I've been real active within a lot of you know a lot of my friends, and I've attended Burning Man a lot of times, and I have a lot of friends that are that are into. Um, there's a culture that gets built up where they're not like actively, and then just people create artwork and stuff around that culture. So you know, I I don't know. I think it's a little difficult to determine whether you know what's like deliberate or intentional or what's you know just happens to be you know th these these imagery that gets put out in, in the culture and then the culture kind of adopts it but i do know like you know like th what they call um sacred geometry or whatever is 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 real big amongst uh a, a lot of is that like metatron's cube and and sacred geometry is that what you mean yeah i mean that those that those images like there's different patterns and a lot of it connect to like Mandelbrot sets, things like that. But yeah, they, there's a term that they call it sacred geometry. Um, uh, yeah. Anyways, but there's a whole culture that like lives on its own now, you know, now, whether it was like initiated in order to like steer people into a certain way of thinking or whatever, I don't know. It, it's a little more difficult to determine, you know, mm. Um, mm. but, but, but like, and, and I'm on the... Oh, what's going on? oh, on the on the the drug thing, I have mixed feelings because like, like I actually support the legalization of it. I I because I've studied how much damage has been done from the drug war, um, but the problem is it's becoming institutionalized. Right. The, the, you know the 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 commercializing and the institutionalizing of it is definitely problematic, and then the medicalizing of it, like, and then get you know, so it's like it's it's a it's a difficult thing uh, to navigate because like, yeah, yeah, I criticize this, but also like, you know, like I have, you know, people smoking pot. I don't, I know. there's, you know, I, I have, you know, mushrooms. I have no problem with them. anyway. Well, um, and that, I don't know if that's also just a, another form of control. I, I have no idea. I just thought it was significant. And I mean, will it eventually be legalized? I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to read. Well, and again, like they'll do it, but they'll, 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 yeah, they'll do it. They'll put, but they'll put it into, it's not just like everyone can do it. They'll, they say, oh, it needs to be highly regulated. And what that means is they're going to have, like in Colorado, we've kind of like, kind of legalized mar or, uh, mushrooms, but they're, you know, they have strict regulations and they have these institutions and these companies that are tying it to like the mental health. And, and, and I don't trust the people that they're putting in charge of, of it, mm -hmm. you know, like what they're, you know, the data they'll be collecting or whatever other purposes that they have, you know. Well, they're so, trying yeah, to find the, the green crosses. Yeah, someone Jennifer made the point. The green crosses. Oh, and then so, someone also said that sacred geometry is within our earth everywhere in flowers and everything, which is true. You know, like there are these different patterns um, that are really beautiful, actually. Um, mm -hmm. uh, oh, some more question. Is there a uh, sense or clues? Is there a sense or clues that suggest how kids learning at home three days a week is going to be normalized. Some parents also work at home now, but not everyone, certainly not a majority. Would either of you like to take that one on? Uh, well, they're starting to shrink the class week. So there are districts who are in financial crisis or having some sort of deficit shortfall, and they're moving them to four-day weeks. 
Uh, you'll see more of that. We do have the Metaverse campus in Dallas, STEMULI, or the Hybrid Learning Academy, and um, that one goes two days a week in person, and then three days a week you have your avatar and your you know virtual instructor and virtual classroom. Uh, so yeah, you, we are seeing more of that, and it's being normalized. Uh, I don't know, Allison, you have any more on that? Well, you know, before the lockdowns, I I made this little tiny my very first video, which is like black marker on white little paper and whatever, like ripped paper. It was it was so. And in four minutes, I'm like, I think this is what's gonna happen. And and I I didn't have global health event. I had like, oh, at some because I'm in I'm in Philadelphia. Our school district has been like in financial crisis the whole time that we were involved in it. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. sometime they're gonna, and it was always linked to the state budget because if they didn't pass the state budget at the level needed, then they wouldn't have the money to open the schools. And I'm like, at some point that's gonna happen. Um, you know, that there's gonna be um, a tipping point and they're just gonna say, oh my gosh, we don't know. We just can't open schools in September. And at that point, the churches and the YMCA's and the boys and girls clubs would all just step in and say, well, we got it. Like, we know you guys work, we've got it, whatever. How hard could it be? They'll all just sit in front of a Chromebook anyway, right? Like, it's not that hard. And and then they'll be happy to put the AmeriCorps volunteers or the city year volunteers in to make sure the kids don't beat each other to a pulp. And, you know, and if you have these nonprofits, they'll be like, oh, here, and we'll just give you the money. I mean, do you think any like mega church person is going to say, no, thank you? I mean, they'll like essentially what would happen is they'll like, well, they were miseducating our kids anyway, so we might as well have them where we can keep an eye on them, right? And get some money. And, and so that's like, that has been set up for a very long time, at least maybe not the churches, but that with the YMCA and the Boys and Girls Club, like the summer camp programs and the after school programs. And, you know, who wants to be against summer camp at the Y? Like, I don't want to be against summer camp at the Y. Like, I'm not saying inherently that the people who are running these camps are evil, but the pressure is that when this hits, like, that's how it's going to go. Like, and yeah. so, yeah. So for the high school kids, they'll just be the on their own. Yeah, the, the, the high school kids will be roaming. And, and in some ways, I think that there's a two-sided you know, again, our city is predominantly, you know, low income students of color, right? So you've got all of those kids in high school wandering the city. Um, some of them are going to get into trouble. I mean, I'm not saying typically, but like, and then some of them are just going to be minding their own business at the Starbucks trying to do their homework. And then they're going to get kicked out under suspicion that there's somebody bad. And then it's going to inflame more racial, like they're going to, like, there's going to be this tension that's baked into that. So like, who wants to have like the school is your classroom maybe sounds really good in some bound report but the reality of having like all the high school kids roaming around on their own reconnaissance although like i guess during lockdowns it kind of was already happening but that is the normal and then the little kids will be at the y or at the churches or at whatever your local nonprofit center and you know maybe they'll have a van that will take them around to their work-based learning project and you know i this is the LRNG pilot that we've we've talked about. Like the city is your classroom, the the learning ecosystem, and mm -hmm. you know I'm in a where it was always challenging for parents. Like there was a certain measure of 
internal school choice. Like you could apply to get into a charter school or out of your district school, but there weren't a lot of great options. And it was incredibly stressful. Stress, you know, was hard, especially for families that had like three kids, right? And then you're like competing to try to get your kid in the school that like is one of the few that you think is doable. Imagine that the schools go away and then the new version is, okay, you're supposed to coordinate 35 learning opportunities, right? Like you're supposed to have like work-based and online and go to the library. And, and then you're a single parent with no car and English isn't your first language and one of your kids is special needs. And how does that even happen? <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's not going to happen, but like, I can't see anyone stopping that because what happened with the teachers going like loopy with the lockdowns and being like, oh my God, the kids are all going to kill us, that they just put the nails in the coffin there because they it's going to be really hard for them to to go to back off of what they did. Yeah. So. I mean, all the learning loss and all the, the wars with the, between the teachers or organizations and the parents and i mean all of that was by design and it worked i mean it it created uh an exit strategy for a lot of parents and and then um you know all these federal funds that come in through the quote learning loss and it it uh, allows for even more of the technology to like amplify what we're fighting in texas more reading online, more devices, more gamification. Well, and I sent you an article like last week that just broke my heart. Someone had forwarded it to me and it was a school in the Metro St. Louis um, area. And this district had was 40 teachers short <laughs> and mostly like middle school teachers. And they, and like, they hired some version of whatever stride, which was K-12 Inc. And they literally had, it was not asynchronous. It was the kids went to a classroom like they were going to normal school, but the teacher was only on a screen and they weren't in the state. They were in some out of state location. And then they would have a volunteer try to do the classroom management while the remote teacher was teaching. And it was just a shit show. Like nobody, um, yeah. like nobody was learning like that everybody was in a terrible place. Yeah, it was not gonna work. And they were paying a premium. They were paying more than they would have paid a regular average teacher salary. Um, and in addition, these schools, and this is, this is reminds me of Philly, like we didn't have radiation. These schools were being irradiated from essentially leftover radiation from like the cyclotron at Wash U, I guess, during the Cold War. So the buildings were like essentially hazmat zones that the kids were in. Now, Philly doesn't have hazmat zone as far as I know that, I mean, they may, but they have terrible asbestos and lead and like a billion dollars in deferred maintenance. So you tell me how that gets fixed. You know, um, I don't know, it's a lot of, it's hard. And, and, and I think like the teachers who left, like even before the lockdowns, there were teachers who were doing, um, like waking up in the middle of the night and doing VIP kid to tutor teach kids in China, mm -hmm. like as a remote worker, right? Yeah. That was some of the first exposure I had in like 2016 to remote work. Um, and there were a lot of teachers Me that too. did that, you know, and I'm like, like, do you not realize, but I mean, their salaries weren't great. Like they, they wouldn't get up in the middle of the night to do that if they didn't have feel like they had to, but it like they, they were kneecapping themselves. And then now 
teachers that left, they're going to become uh, freelance edupreneurs hmm. or like freelance mentors, right? Like, and then, and then they'll have a unique ID. And when the kids use their digital voucher to sign up with their digital tutor, like there will be an interface made. And so that like whatever that kid's future economic productivity will be placed against the entrepreneurial whatever skill, you know, like level leveling of that mentor. And then it's just everything's we're back to everything's a fucking market. <laughs> well, I just want to talk to the people in the naming department where they come up with these entrepreneur. <laughs> That's Gates like, did that. Gates it's it's called Educanese, Jason. Educanese <laughs> or Edu speak. Yeah. Um, someone uh, asked uh, if we got any suggestions on what. Uh, books to read or any research to look at relating simulation modeling any thoughts mm, on I that think i mean um, hmm. like i mean i i think looking into the cold war gaming and looking at um really how that links to the hedge fund modeling that's what i'm working on now i mean there's not like a book like there's not people that write books about it you just have to kind of look but the the markov uh, theory, which is alternate futures theory, is really central to this. And I just found out that there's something called the hidden Markov model. That's what this guy Simmons, um, well, not Simmons, but his hire Patterson at Renaissance Technologies. He's evidently very good at the hidden Markov model. So it's some of this is like fuzz, fuzzy logic is like, how do you make predictions, accurate predictions when you have very incomplete information? And it's all this mathematical, like, analysis to make the best choice based on the information you have. So you, and you always want more information than the other guy. What's the Markov model? I don't know if that rings. Essentially it's a branching pattern. Um, I think Stan Ulam developed the, the, the Markov model. So Markov. Stan Ulam was, he helped develop the hydrogen bomb <laughs> and his brain worked so hard that he gave himself some sort of hemorrhage and they sent him to the hospital and said, stop thinking, don't think anymore. Allison, and I so hope that doesn't happen to you. That, you have to be careful, that's a big risk. <laughs> And he played so solitaire. Your are hurt. It starts to get bigger. You need to slow down. <laughs> but he, so he played a bunch of solitaire and then he conceptualized this idea of like alternate futures. So you, it's like a branching, it's kind of like the multiverse, but it's all these branching patterns and then you model it for the average and then you figure out like your risk tolerance. So I don't know. Homework mm -hmm. assignment for Jason. Go look up yeah. the Markov. <laughs> I'll, I'll look. Well, it's just like it's, again, it's like there's so much stuff to keep keep track of. It's like uh, I've I've artificial embryo meta meta morphogenic <laughs> embryogenesis. I've I've had to do more homework than my the past Thank couple God they of years gave us in phonics. my whole life. Sound out these words. Uh, Roma was asking, "What's the name of the book you mentioned, Lynn, about the rainbow?" Um, yeah, it's, it in your, is. It's, in your, it's in the article. Oh, geez, I have it right here. The hidden <laughs> dangers of the rainbow. <laughs> Hold on, am I going the wrong way? <laughs> I know I can never do that. And then uh, okay, this one, Constance Cumby. There we go. <laughs> yeah, um, and it was. Uh, I didn't say this in the write-up, but it was actually a gay co-worker that gave it to my mom. So the gay co-worker was reading about the hidden dangers of the rainbow, which I thought was funny. Yeah. 
Uh, well, that's that's all the questions that I had that were like actual questions. Uh, so if you guys have any other questions for us, uh, now's the time. <laughs> um, do you guys have any anything else you want to add about this conversation? I mean, the game stuff is super important. Like the esports, like understanding, like playing a sport in a simulation is because um, of all the data capture too. Like, you know, I think that was a thing for me. Like when I found out that the VR headsets would capturing data on your emotion on the other backside, like when I, I have a, a blog post called like Boiling Frogs or something. If you go to my blog and put in Boiling Frogs, it'll come up. And there's this uh, link to a slide share from JCA Solutions, which is a defense contractor. And they were essentially saying that the plan was because of cost, like that the the VR education modeling was cheaper than an online class, like just the, the basic market for it, like and that they were getting the data, like how you wore the stuff. And then you realize, I mean, in the education space, teachers could never gather as much data with fidelity as these markets demand and as the AI demands. And so you, you actually have to eliminate human education to, to make this thing happen. Like it's, there's just a terrible logic to it. Like I, I feel bad because I think the teachers always thought like, oh, this is gonna help us differentiate or manage our workflow better or whatever because the class sizes were too big. Mm -hmm. But it, that's by design. So and yeah. you know, the term with fidelity, that is something that our commissioner uses all the time. But the other thing that he does is that he refers, when he tells these stories about, he, he tries to sound like he's a warm, compassionate person. So he'll say things that he thinks he's supposed to say to, and he'll say like, well, we as a species love our offspring. I mean, he literally will say those things and he'll talk about, well, uh, well, um, with mortals, as though he's not a mortal or the same species. It's a very strange um, language that he speaks. And he's always been a favor, uh, been um, a fan of putting, if there is the technology for it and there is the capability then to put all subjects on devices. And he was a big fan of the Reasoning Mind software. And so you see these people that emerge as leaders and it's almost as though they're programmed. I mean, I'm, I, yeah. when he talks like that, we as a species, uh, <laughs> or in, in saying mortals, and like, I just say people, like people who, I, I, I use the word people, you know, <laughs> he uses <laughs> very scientific uh, words for people. And it's almost robotic. And so I don't know if that is these people are genetically predisposed and they emerge and they elevate to these positions. Are they, is he already, a, you know, a converted uh, being? <laughs> is he already like <laughs> wired, <laughs> programmed? I don't know. He acts well, like can I someone. tell you, like, so I was mentioning to Roma about this guy, Jim Simmons with Renaissance Technologies. And I, like, mm -hmm. I can't even say that it was necessarily, um, intersecting but like so he, he had this idea i mean i'm not even saying he had like he had the idea before this event but he brought all of, like 20 science high level scientists together in 2012 at in milton um new york on the hudson 
and he called it the buttermilk falls retreat. Like, so this is very specific. And so there's, there's a buttermilk falls that's near Ithaca, but there's a buttermilk falls spa that's in Milton. So I'm assuming that's where it is. So I look, go to the website and it's like a spa and a wedding place and like a corporate conference center and with, you know, Mm -hmm. lodging and meeting space or what have you in this sort of like country-ish Hudson Valley sort of vibe. And on the and the outside wall, not the inside wall, on the outside wall of the barn that is essentially the meeting space, like their their main gathering area, is a 12 foot by 12 foot painting, a copy of Lida and the Swan, of, of the lost painting by Leonardo da Vinci that was copied a lot in the Renaissance. <laughs> um, like they don't have the, they have sketches that yeah. Da Vinci did, but they don't actually have the painting, but they have, um, there many people copied this painting of Lida and the Swan. It's on the outside of a barn, this Renaissance, a copy of a Renaissance painting. Like, I don't even know how they keep it like from getting rained on. It's very odd. And the, the, the story of Lida and the Swan is essentially like there's this queen and of course how it always goes in mythology. She's pretty hot. And then Zeus is like, I like that. And so like he turns into a swan and has sex with her as a swan. But then she, and then she also sleeps with her husband and then she lays two eggs. And in each egg, there are twins, which is interesting. And they hatch, like that's always part of the feature of the painting is these eggs that are hatched with these babies coming out of hatched eggs. (laughs) Again, they're not in the body of the woman who birthed them, they're in the egg. And one of them is Helen of Troy, and I think maybe Clymenestra and Castor and Pollux. Two of them are Zeus's children, which are, you know, centaurs, right? Like gods, not mortals, like gods mixing with the mortals. And then two are, I guess, are just mortal. Well, you know, Centaurus is John Arnold's. That was his company, Centaurus. Whoa, really? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he funded the commissioner, that robotic commissioner I was just talking about. He funded his. No way. uh, Really? I don't know. Well, Centaurus, yeah. Well, anyway, so like, I'm just like, what? I mean, that <laughs> oh, no, I just sent Allison down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, and then the other thing, so I'm looking at this guy, he's Polish. Um, he does Renaissance copies of Renaissance art paintings. Like, and this wasn't a small thing. It was like 12 by 12 feet. Like, that's a big painting. And so I'm looking at his, I find some stuff as his other work. Now, the painting was put up in 2005. The conference wasn't until 2012. So I can't say for sure that there was anything that James Simmons had to do with this painting. It's just an interesting coincidence that also his thing is Renaissance technologies. Is the, that the it artist, right there? No, if you, you have to go to Buttermilk Spa um, Resort in Milton, uh, like Milton, um, New York, if oh, you're okay. gonna Google it. Okay, yeah, I'll No, yeah, you have to actually see the actual painting. Okay. Yeah, if you want to Google Buttermilk Spa, Milton, okay. New York, and it's under the meeting section tab on the thing. Um, okay. So then the, the, I think, yeah, you, I don't think you'll be able to get it for a, don't do Lita and the Swan, just do Buttermilk Spa's Spa. And then it's under the meetings tab. It's just odd. Like, I mean, I don't go looking for these odd things, but then they just show up. <laughs> Oh, come on. You're totally guilty. You have to. There it is. There it is. There's a painting. Oh. Chickens. 
if you go to the meeting, there's something about meetings. Meetings, there you go. And you have to scroll down a little bit. There it is. Like, if, I don't know if you can make it bigger. It's on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got to zoom in on the barn. Yeah, that's all there is. But you have to zoom in on the barn. But it's strange. Anyway, so then he has another painting that is, I mean, he had many. But, like, there was one from 2012 that was at the Ideal Glass Gallery. So Ideal Glass. And there's a whole bunch of stuff with, like, gla glass, looking glass and whatever mm -hmm. um, in New York. And it was this eyeball, a floating eyeball, not like as dramatic as the stimuli eyeball, but similar, floating with a frequency line. It was a two-piece mural in two sections. Like, it was like on a building that had two alcoves. So one was the eye floating um, on a black background and had a frequency line. And then it goes to this, like, crystal skull. And, like, like it wasn't just a bony skull. It was like a crystal skull. And then written literally next to the skull, it said something like, everything in the multiverse is interconnected by magical experience. So it's the same guy anyway. I guess you can't zoom it in any bigger, Jason, but that's it. Like you can kind of see the... I can't hear him, whatever. So anyway. My download it. folder is in its zip. I was trying to download it, but it's in a different oh, spot. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, anyway, sorry point. about that. I tried. I, I could I could do it if I had another minute. Yeah. But, it, well, and the other thing about the centaur, remember, I keep talking about, like, the, the cave in um, uh, the, oh, gosh, in the Wissahickon, Kelpius, the Kelpius cave. And... And on the stone, he would they, they, the Rosicrucians have claimed Kelpius, who was an alchemist and mystic with these mystical monks in the eight, late 17th, early 18th century. And um, on the side of the stone, it was written Nephili. And that Nephili, Nephili in Greek mythology is the mother of the centaurs. And someone hand wrote Nephili on the side of that stone. So, And, they, and they're saying that, that centaurs is the thing that is... Um, the word you use instead of cyborg, that centaurs is the nicer word to use. And there was another woman from DARPA. I think she would call them centaurs, too. There was really? a DARPA woman. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's Centaurus Energy is the name of his uh, multi-billion dollar energy commodity hedge fund. Yeah. Well, the, the token is grad. Oh, hmm. yeah. Big energy. It's not energy. It's not what we thought. <laughs> yeah, we need to do more about like the birth of the environmental movement and big oil and energy. Like, <laughs> I think that's another yeah. that's another area that would just, I think, blow people's minds. And I, I know just a tiny bit. But I, I already know enough to know that there's like it's it's a it's a game changer in terms of narrative. <laughs> mm -hmm. Understanding that you know, like, oh yeah, Exxon Mobil was the first created the first climate change report. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone asked. Uh, how does someone asked about the culture war about how it, all this relates to the culture war? Polarization. <laughs> Polarization. <laughs> and, and metadata tags. Like they need to know what module you, to put you in, in the supercomputer. Right. Like, I mean, if you, if you imagine as the symphony and the conductor, they're like, oh, are you like a flute or are you a viola? Like they need to know because like when it's time for you to come in, you know, they need to know what sound you're going to make. <laughs> you know, they, and that's what the digital twinning does. It's I, I've started to think of it actually more, and this is part of the gaming simulation, 
And this was based on looking at the diversity paper. They talk about personas. Um, that diversity paper, if you guys have time to look at it, the, the, the backstory was that they were looking at a crowdsourced citizen science project, which is interesting to think about the whole citizen science movement, which is really big in Philly, backed by the Franklin Institute. Um, but you would go online and you would annotate, I don't know, like constellations or star picture, something. There was something scientific that even like amateur people could add annotations to. Um, and you didn't get paid, but it was about community building and affirmation and your identity. And so what they said was to keep people engaged, except for the few really geeky people who would geek out on it all the time, like they, they developed sort of archetypal personas of the people who participated as volunteers so that they would know how to sort of you know, stroke them and make them feel good. And, and they were always managing it. They're like, okay, you, you don't want to make it so that people feel bad and uh, have certain people over other people. So you have to find a nice way to make everybody feel included. It was about personas. And so I got to thinking actually, because the Mellon family, uh, Paul Mellon and his first wife, they bought the rights to publish English translations of Jung in 1930. They created their own like university level press um, this is the Mellon family out of Pittsburgh, financiers, um, and they founders of the National Gallery. So we, again, we have sort of archetypal and art um, to publish Jung's work and other esoteric books. It was called the Bullingen Foundation, and it was named after some the Jung's estate in Switzerland, which is not far from the Crypto Valley, as it turns out. And so I, I'm just thinking about archetypes now. I never really thought about archetypes before, but I know some people who do like, you know, tarot <laughs> archetypes or these role-playing games are arch archetypes, you know, and then you have the Jung archetypes. And so I feel like the culture wars are to develop archetypes and to sort people by archetype and then to reinforce that or the archetype that you're in, you know, your identity as, but not like you as a unique person, but you as a broad concept. And then, and to keep people, you know, you're allowed a certain amount of leeway within that broad concept. But like, if you were going to be represented by some sort of playing card or gaming character, I don't know, Jason, you, you were talking about D and D, like Dungeons and Dragons. Like there would be, or a lot of these games. Like, well, you can be a mage, or you can be a troll, or you can be a this, and they all come with certain capabilities. <laughs> so, like, okay, what's the libertarian archetype card, right? You know, what's the, you know you know, NPR liberal. Is it sort of like, like, so in thinking about some of these things that we've had over, like um, you had Gilligan's Island where you had this, yeah. this type and this yeah. type and this type, where you had in Clue, there were, you know, this one, this one, or this one. I don't know. Um, that just came to me. But. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> it's it's once you realize it's like, like a play, like, it's like a play. Yeah. These people are like, I mean, I've been looking at Brock Pierce lately. I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are characters. Trump, character. Well, even Brock like I go Pierce. to these school board meetings and look at the, like I'll go to a school board meeting up north in a district I'm not familiar with. And people ask, you know, come and, and see what they're doing here. And I'll speak about something that's relevant. And you look and the board members, you don't, I don't know them at all. I don't know much, anything about them, but they're, it's like, oh, that's the, and that's the, and that's the, <laughs> you see based on what they say or how they behave, they fit a certain mm -hmm. um, archetype. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's fascinating every, every, every when you start to think about it like that. 
Yes. Yeah. And the people you, who think, who do you think? Well, I guess somebody said astrologers. Astrologers are probably really good with archetypes, but the uh, gamers, they know the archetypes because they program them. Like you remember back when like Bantam Joe had the little character rigs and they would like, before you gave them their personality, they would just like hang their like little zombie things. Like, you know, because they have to be then, programmed with their archetype. Well, and even that, mm -hmm. that weird video that we had about the teapot, um, do you remember? Yes, that's like, really weird. They, yeah. they, when they first got up, they were kind of like like they were they're like zombies, yeah. <laughs> and then they started dancing they're around like puppets. Um, yeah, it's super creepy. When the, well, and the archetype, like it's it's almost like it, it's these aren't even like natural things, you know. Like it's it's almost like we are pushed into different archetypes as we grow up. And I was thinking about like you know just in school, you know, you think how you know. How, People mm -hmm. get in little clicks in school and like, and, but Total in the movies, favorite. you know, you watch, you watch <laughs> movies and then the movies kind of tell you what, what the archetypes are. Oh, there's the, there's the weird, the, you know, kids in black, the emo kids that are standing in the corner. There's the, the, the stoners. And there were these, like, there were these categories that were like, and so which one of you, you know, you're a kid and, uh. You know, there's well, the even jocks. the nonconformists would always conform to a certain look, which I always thought was funny. It's like, well, then if you're such a nonconformist, why do all of you have the same, you know, whatever on? When it was like, I, I remember like they had Spencer gifts and then they like later on they had like hot topic, but it was like supposed to be like the against the, we're the against the establishment or whatever. It's like, you know, the corporations are like, oh, we'll, we'll give you, we'll give you that here. Here's come to our little shop over here. You can buy, <laughs> you know, they're, you know, it, it, it everything gets commodified oh. and, and, and corporatized. It's pretty funny. Yeah. But punk. I even think like, think about all of the, um, like the identity politics now with like merch, right? <laughs> like you can, like, I, I don't know, like I, I will admit, like I, we used to like be members of NPR and like I have tote bags, right? It's like, here's your merch. It identifies who you are in the archetype, right? But you, you know, the, all of the hate has no home here, blah, 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 like all of the lines, like we believe in science, like the, that group or the Trump group or these things. It's like, here, wear yourself, wear it on your social media page, put a sign in your yard, like the AI and the drones, they really want to know who you are. They really want to know, you know, all the time. Keep sending the signal, transmitting, like, have you changed your mind? Did you stop donating to the NPR annual fund drive, which I did years ago, <laughs> but like, oh, you know, then you don't use that tote bag anymore. And, and then the signal changes and they have to readjust. Yeah. Or like the school choice scarves, those yellow scarves that they, were passing out and I found two at a thrift store and I had to laugh because <laughs> they would give them out at these rallies and things. It's like yeah. people wear the yellow singing, I'm for school choice. And it's, it's oh, right. sad, the, the, it's all over the place right now. Yeah, it's big, big talk right now nationwide. Well, see, and like, do you, how many people in the school choice conversation, Liz, do you think understand out computers or uh, holonic teaming? Like they don't know. I mean, maybe some don't Arnold. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say zero. I'm gonna say zero. <laughs> Jennifer said she wants Wheel. some wrench in the gears merch. <laughs> you can download. There's you can download some images uh, like the revolution. Oh wait, I have, tokenized. I have a little bit right here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there we oh, go. The the, <laughs> right. 
free, free to download. <laughs> oh, you know what I do? I also have this, um, I, I, I sent it to you a long time ago, Allison. It was the dandelion uh, side by side with the reunion tower. Do you remember that? Because they kind of, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here it is. We'll close on that <laughs> note. Because yeah. we were, uh, this was back, uh, I don't know, it's probably two years ago. We were kind of trying to get people to, oh, here it is. This oh, reunion yeah. tower. I've seen a lot of people oh, yeah. using dandelions. I mean, I'm yeah. still using dandelions because I'm going to put that at the end of my buckyball piece. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone asked uh, for the layman. Uh, what is the shift from Internet of Things to Web3 Internet of Bodies? Uh, what does it mean digitally twinned? And how ambitious are they actually to want us to live in a simuverse? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a shift from Internet of Things to the Internet of Bodies. I mean, I think that, that you know, it's it's going to incorporate it's all It's to Web3, though. Yeah, so web, web3 is the integration of all these things. You know, it's yeah. it's not... Uh, you know. I think the interoperability is the big piece of Web three, and then well, what you like said to me also is it spatial web. Web three is the spatial web, right? I don't know if that helps. Well, it's interesting because there's I didn't realize about there's two things. There's Web three and there's Web three point oh, <laughs> and mm. one is like the decent like. I don't know, the di distributed ledger technology, and then one is maybe more the semantic web, like the language piece of it, and there's some difference. So I I, I knew that like last couple weeks ago, and then I forgot exactly what the difference, but I think one is more about language, uh, like programming language objects, and then the other is about the, mm -hmm. the smart contract layer. Well, and also I think, and I can't remember how it was worded, but so, you know, initially the internet was, uh, you know, a, a static website, and then Web two was where you could make comments, so it was a little bit more interactive. Um, but Web three, I heard somebody say something like, "We're moving from," but like even like your storage, like you have a computer and you've got your hard drive, and you you know you're storing all your information, and we're we're seeing a shift to. Um, where everything's in the cloud, every you know, you and everything's mm -hmm. a subscription. So it's like we're still not. It's we're in the, this transition, and I'm kind of worried about it because I like to have my own. Uh, you know, I like to have my hard drives with my stuff on it. I like to have a software that's on my computer that I'm not paying a monthly fee for. That whatever terms of services that they decide to change, as they're constantly changing these terms of terms and conditions, that there's no way you could possibly even keep up with it. Um, and then, you know, oh, you violated their new terms and conditions that, that are actually encroaching on things that shouldn't even be a part of you being able to use their software. Um, but your livelihood depends on it. So I do video editing. So my livelihood, um, not much of a livelihood, but the little bit of livelihood I have is, is you know, I, re I rely on, on, on this software now that I'm having to basically rent. And so, you know, they want us to be all renters. But another thing is we're moving even away from cloud computing to ubiquitous computing where like it's 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 all in, it's this interoperable mesh network that is just is in some ways even distributed um and decentralized so you know i think that they don't they don't like having this you know like they're still going to have just like when they when movies came out they you know 
videos came out, they didn't get rid of books or whatever, but they'll still have those old things. But you're, there's a new layer that's always added on to it. But I think that's a big piece of it is where they just want us mainly like these are going to be, you know, interfaces, but it's all it's all inner, you know, interoperable. I don't know if that that was a good way of describing it, but I thought that was well, interesting when they said they're they're actually even moving away from the traditional cloud type computing, which I'm still trying well, to based think on about the what that means. self-assembling nano. It feels like more and more like it's <laughs> going to be ubiquitous. Is going to be like really ubiquitous, like it's biocomputing, actually. Yeah. But like I I think the other thing that's important for people to understand about Web three. And the teaming and, and the stuff we've talked about and the gambling and the steering is that it, it is a cybernetic system. And so I think a lot of people get hung up on the data like, oh, we don't like this because it's digital surveillance. We don't like the surveillance piece, which I'm not saying is a good thing, but then they stop there. And, and they don't actually understand that the point of the surveillance is to use the data to steer you and in, in ways that may not even be extreme like i think that there's a lot of there's an inclination among you know and it's like a natural thing but to amplify the negative and to go to the farthest like they're gonna try to kill us all or they're gonna try to turn us all into the opposite of what we are and i think no no they just want to gradually steer you towards a certain end but i don't think they want to shock you with it like they're not here to like hit you with a whip and do it like I think they want a, gr a gradual steering program and they actually want to be able to use you for this computational process uh, willingly preferably you know and so I don't know I, I mean we'll see how it plays out I could be wrong but I, I think that that the go-to of like they're all going to kill us or they're all going to try to make us immediately miserable um, one just makes you scared and miserable and two I don't think it actually serves the logic of the complex adaptive system mentality. Yeah. Hmm. Um, someone asked Good. about. <laughs> uh, someone asked about our California trip. You know, we did we did postpone that, and we still are talking about when when to do that. Um, so yeah, I don't. Alice, you want to say something? You mentioned that we went to we went to someone. They'd mentioned that we went to Arizona. We did. That was a separate deal, though. That um, our friend Drew. Uh, had organized an event and asked us if we would like to come, and so that was just, that was kind of a, a, a separate a separate deal. <laughs> but we but our our talks got you know the we two can't talk. Yeah, no, I mean it was important. Like everyone, Jason's like we just have to figure out, and I'm like, but the, there's always the next important thing to say, and the ant computer part was really important. Um, yeah, so I mean the challenge with California is like to go. It's probably at least a month. Like it, like Tucson, we went, I mean, Jason, you, you drove all the way out there, but it was a pretty quick turnaround for you. Um, and I, I did a lot of, I, I, I did probably a, a week there just, but I was staying with Drew. So it was, it was like for us to, to be on the move in California, it's like a month. So I still think it's really important. Like I, I'm still like, I would let, we have to sort of just reach, recheck the van situation, Jason. And, and the van, the van's all, good to go. <laughs> we're, we're all good with yeah. the knuckle joint, whatever. Yeah. Van, I know, van is, okay. The van's good to go. I found, well, it's a long story, but I found the part, the one thing that I was missing in air anyways. It was, and it was actually the thing this yeah, time. Yeah. 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 We're good. Yeah, okay. go. I guess it had. So, so I will say like the, the, like going to California, part of it was based off of the series that we did around um, the synthetic pretenders and the eugenics and like the Human Betterment Foundation in Pasadena and like the Spanish mission system, like within the context of synthetic biology. And I think 
It's it's usually important because I actually um, did just a, like a long weekend up and I visited someone on Long Island. And if you haven't seen the little, uh, it's a relatively short, it's a 15 minute video that my friend Liz did. Uh, it's on the channel and it's it's quite lovely. It's uh, I look like a, a wet dog because it was raining that day and I, I, whatever, but it's real, like very authentic. And I actually, I wanted to, to do, go to these sites on Long Island and I got to go to the, the archive building of the Cold Springs Harbor Laboratory, which was the center of the eugenics records office funded by Carnegie and the Harriman family. And the the rare book room was in the, um, the building, the first purpose built building. Um, there was a lab, it was built for the, like the stuff that came, like we taught the Nazis how to do the eugenics stuff like the, the, the sterilization, the targeting of, of people with mental disabilities or other like health issues. Like we did that <laughs> and, and they looked to us, they looked and, and not only the, the eugenics records office, but their, the human betterment foundation in Pasadena. And, um, and it was a lovely building. Like it was just in a, you know, it was like the size of my living room and it had beautiful like arts, craftsmen wooden with glass cabinets of all of these eugenics books and I, I really highly recommend if you you look um liz wrote a nice guest post and i included a lot of photos of the books on those shelves and it not only had to deal with social hygiene and you know screening military officers for their defects and deaf marriages and like every like indigenous people, you know, racial problems, like ev everything. Um, it included things like um, x-rays and radiation and biology, which because they did a lot of the dropsophila research there. Um, it included, uh, there were books on the water, the aquifers of Long Island, and also on x-rays. And you know, it turns out that I didn't realize that Long Island has its own aquifer, but it's very vulnerable because it's sandy. It's like kind of a, and so if there's contaminants, it just goes right through into the drinking water. And they have a nuclear power plant that evidently at Shoreham that never opened, but had somehow 5 million tons of nuclear waste removed. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. Like, how do you have 5 million tons of waste for something that was never turned on, supposedly? And then you have Brookhaven National Lab in very close proximity. And Brookhaven National Lab has, you know, this high level, um, you know, physics, I don't know, cyclotrons or particle accelerators. They were dropping radiation into the groundwater in the 90s for decades. And, and, and like Long Island has these very high rates of, of um, cancer. And so like I'm looking at these books and I'm looking at the books about the water and about the radiation and knowing what they did to the fruit flies. And like people pay a lot of money for real estate on Long Island. I mean, not so much near Brookhaven because I guess people know, but you know, we we all had this discussion about Mark Andreessen and next gen nuclear, right? And radiation hormesis and like that they're gonna pull out the next version that like, oh, you know, didn't you hear that low levels of radiation are good for you, right? That's coming. Like if you put in radiation hormesis, there's all these things. Oh, oh yeah, no, a little bit of radiation is good. You know, like it'll give us those Juan Benet superpowers. And so, um, well, it used to be know, that way. Actually, there's old ads for products where they intentionally mm -hmm. were putting radiation and they were marketing it as, as having benefits. <laughs> we live near yeah. a power line and my mom made us move because she didn't want anything to happen to us. My mom is smart. Yeah. I know. Well, so, 
So I feel like it's important. Like that, like in some ways, I, it's such a moving target because my frame of reference now is really different than when I wrote the synthetic pretend. It's, it's not, it's not, it didn't change my perspective on eugenics, but understanding the systems engineering as a whole other level. So, um, and actually Mojita was like, oh, just, spring is better go between march and april so like i'm still up for it we just yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to pulling this together because there's there's so much history out there and and i know it, it'll be a, a learning experience for for all of us including everybody that you know watches watches this so and uh yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm looking forward to that uh so stay tuned <laughs> Uh, and we have and we have people uh, that said they live out there, you know, that love to connect with us. So I just I, I put the emails up there. Just uh, send us your contact information and we'll we'll hold on to it. Yeah, please. do. I mean, it's hard because like now I'm off of social media. Like now I know how it works. Like I know that like more than nuts and bolts. I'm like, oh, but then like when you're not in people's face all the time, like and I know this still counts, but like it's not quite the same as like the, the total like I'm yeah. I'm I understand that the algorithms support like ghost ban us. Like I have eighteen thousand subscribers and I'm lucky if I get a thousand views on the videos, right? Um which yeah. not that I'm complaining. It's going to where it needs to go. But um yeah, I didn't know if people still were paying attention to what we were talking about. But I think we just have to do it anyway and then the message will go where it needs to go. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing that's mm -hmm. ideal and it sucks because you want to get this, you know, get this out there. But yeah, I got to the point where I realized that social media was it's the, the, the negatives way outweighed any 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 few people that we were hitting. So yeah, once you see the the structure the of it, <laughs> yeah. you know it generally, but then once you actually see it, see it, you're like, oh, wow, like. Yeah, and even this, I mean, even YouTube and Google is very, very problematic. So it's like uh, there, there is no mm -hmm. good situation. Um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, ultimately, it would be a good idea for us to like start hosting some of these videos ourselves. Um, you know, but then again, you're going to have even more limited. You know, people would go to your website and be able to watch it. Right. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But that's uh, probably something that I should work on this year. Um, but yeah, uh, any other thoughts, you guys? Thanks for every everyone for for chiming in and joining us. We've been cooped up all week in an ice storm, so we're gonna go eat. Oh, nice! Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, we'll drive safe. Well, and thanks for writing that that article, Lynn. I really appreciate it. It's an important oh. article. Sure, thank you. Well, yeah, I just it. have to get it out of my brain and you know, on paper <laughs> or on not paper, but you know what I mean. We'll have some ice yeah. cream. With your dinner, <laughs> okay, I will. So ice ice storm in Dallas. So huh? We're gonna go. We're gonna go to Reunion Tower and eat at the thing that spits around. <laughs> nice. No, not really. Not really. Uh, all right. We'll get all right. see you all. Yeah. Thank Thanks you guys. For those all right. Yeah. Bye. Good night. Gotta go over here one second. Stop.